This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're talking Alita, colon, Battle Angel. Red alert! Shields up! Wait a minute! I forgot my introduction! We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe! Hello! Hello! Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We cover some various movie topics... Jump into a mostly spoiler-free review, then jump back into the other movie topics. This is episode 352, 352. 352. That's the model number that uh, they they first sent back in time, but it didn't really work out. Sure. And <laughs> this week, we are talking Alita, colon, Battle Angel, the new film from director Robert Rodriguez and producer James Cameron. I think it says visionary in the trailers. I think that, Visionary that's... producer James Cameron? I think, I think it says... Visionary, I think I think it says I think it says from James Cameron, the director of like Titanic and Avatar, yeah. and then it says and like and visionary director Robert Riga. I think it okay. says that. So I was like, I've never heard the, I've never used or seen them use visionary producer, uh, anything. No, that's what I'm, I'm saying. I know I saw the word visionary. This is very important. And <laughs> two, I'd love, two directors, yeah. Two, I'd, two I'd, love, directors. I'd love to know the contracts that go over these kind of things of like what kind of adjectives to use in trailer marketing for these people. But regardless, we are talking Alita Battle Angel today. And joining us to do such thing we have from MGM, he's a motorball champion in need of a new sponsor. It's Peter Paris. <laughs> hey, everybody. And from Cal State Fullerton, recently cast out of the city in the sky, it's Professor Mike Dillon. I was framed. <laughs> What? But, hello. Fifth <laughs> style, I was framed? It, uh, it wasn't me. <laughs> How are the two of you doing this evening? I'm doing pretty good. I'm enjoying, I, I got tomorrow off. It's President's Day weekend, so I've had a nice relaxing uh, weekend. I've played a lot of video games, trying to catch up on movies. It's been a, it's been a good, uh, yeah, good, good media content weekend. I just want to issue a statement up front. Um, before we begin, I was texting a friend about our movie mm-hmm. and I was texting it a little too quickly. And I was basically letting my autocorrect, like co-author the text and the uh, title, the title for this movie came out as a lot of bubble angle. <laughs> <laughs> and I just wanted to make sure that none of you would be terribly offended if I just called it that throughout the episode. <laughs> no, do it, do it. You should do it. Yeah. You don't confuse right. anyone who skips through things. I, one thing I'd like to know, I'd like that to happen for somebody to skip through part of this podcast. Get to the lead of Battle Angel part. It'd be a lot of bit bubble ain't, but is it bubble? No, what you bubble say? angles. Bubble, bubble angles. Bubble angles, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for giving me this he- the heads up, because now we can, you know, continue understanding what you're having to say. Uh, but yeah, good to have you guys both back on the podcast. Peter, I feel like I just talked to you because we were on this, you were on the Sin City commentary not too long. Right, that's true, yes. Which was a lot of fun, and that's up on iTunes now. And uh, Mike, good to have you back on the show as always. Yes, thank you for having me. For sure. No, we look forward to uh, getting into some thoughts and some things today. And that's just what we're going to do after we get to some show notes real quick. First up, I did just mention the commentary track. We do have a new commentary track for this month, which is Force and City, which is directed by Robert Riguez, which ties into the movie we're talking about today. Uh, that was a lot of fun. That's up on iTunes and Audio Boom now. You can find that pretty easily. Um, what else? Oscars. The Oscars are coming up, and we're actually going to see all 24 categories presented live at the Oscars. What a thought. Uh, but yeah, that means that we're also going to do a fun prediction show. That's how we tend to do these things. So ideally, we'll record that on Friday, get that up right away that night, and then we'll do a um, wrap-up show recorded immediately after the Oscars, uh, which should ideally go up right away as well. 
So yeah, that should that should be fun. Uh, look forward to it. Mm-hmm. Look forward to Abe's wild predictions. Uh, I, I'm I'm gonna go with my heart this year because I'm not pleased with the, what the academy has been doing. I mean, you go with your heart every year, and it, <laughs> it never helps. <laughs> no. yeah, that's why I'm the people's champ. Thank you, Marcus. <laughs> if you can get to double <laughs> double digits um, in your in your in your uh, wins <laughs> this call, yeah, that that counts as a win. Yeah. I guess so. But yeah, that should be a lot of fun. We got the Oscars coming up, so that'll be cool. And what else? Um, shout out to a friend of the show, Brandon Peters podcast, Cult Cinema Cavalcade. I just recorded a new episode with them talking about the film Chill Factor with Skeet Ulrich and Cuba Gooding Jr. Yes, Chill Factor. I mean, he was, uh, what was that, like 1999 or something like that? You got it, 99, yep. Yeah, so it was like, that was like the height of Skeet Ulrich and Cuba Gooding Jr., it was a it was a pivotal point, that's for sure. <laughs> but yes, we talked all about that much beloved classic Chill Factor. So yeah, if you're you like our show and you like uh, Brandon on the commentary tracks, feel free to check out his show. So that was a lot of fun to record. <laughs> Last thing, iTunes reviews ratings good to get those help out helps out our show helps other people find the show. If you want to log on to iTunes, search for out now with our name, you can do just that, and you'll find our show and you can give us a rating and review. Thank you so much. All right. Now, all that out of the way, let's get to a little know everybody. Where each week we ask each other a question or two, try to set the tone for the podcast, or better get to. No, Hello, everybody. everybody. It was good. It was good. I, like I liked it. I got a question for you guys. Hit it. What would be your robot shape? Presuming you had, like, cybernetic Interest. enhancements or what have you, what would be, like, your preferred, like, shape of yourself at that point? Hmm. Like, gender? Or what do you mean shape? Well, like, Jack Earl Haley's an Alita, and he's, like, this giant macho version of nothing that exists in reality. Or Alita's, you know, just like a small little cyborg. Like, what, what, what would you want to like be a big bulking robot, or would you want to have like, I don't know, chain arms or whatever the hell's going on with some of these people? Like, what, what would you, what, yeah, what would I, be your design preference? I don't know that I would alter my basic structure too much as long as I can stay sedentary. Mm-hmm. Can I be just a sedentary lazy mm-hmm. robot? So like hedonism bot in Futurama. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> yeah, just sort of sit on my ass and stay at home robot. I like it. Yeah, sure. Like Jeff Fahey seems to have that going. It's like he lets the dogs do his work for him. <laughs> That's, That's right. Jeff yeah, Fahey. yeah. That, that is true. He, he's the guy in the bar. Yeah, 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 yeah. The lawnmower man himself, yes. So I noticed that Casper Van Dien is credited somewhere yes. in the film. So I couldn't figure out where he was. I figured he was a bounty hunter or something. But he, he oh, was, oh, we'll get to some faces that we saw he, in the movie. He was yeah. um, he was earlier. He was when there is an early fight. Um, he's one of those characters. Oh, oh, well, nice to see him getting work. Yeah, I uh, I'm gonna go with uh, you know, regular old Abe. Just uh, with exoskeletons and also adamantium skin or adamantium bones. Okay. <laughs> going to lead a style here. <laughs> I would, you know, I mean, I guess I'm going with what I do in video games. And I'm almost always, I always like, if the, if the gender is a thing, it's usually a female. But if it's more, if your guys are asking about like skill set or whatever, like I usually like things that are like fast. Like I, I like things that are like, you know. Fast and zippy as opposed to, like, a tank. So you'd want like, an athletic build, essentially. Wait, what? An athletic build. Yeah, sure. Like, an athletic build. Like, you know, I can get some good d- double or triple jumps. You know, that's important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, honestly, yeah. Any, also, beyond that, like, any, th- any kind of, like, cool aesthetics that I can put on, like, in Ready Player One. You know, he's got the crazy kind of anime white hair and he's got the cool diamondy face skin like all that kind of stuff i usually love all that like so that's what i would go for 
I miss I misplaced my keys for a few minutes earlier today. It would have been really nice if they were already like etched into my body. <laughs> right, exactly. That was because it was really frustrating for for a minute there. I'm gonna design that in your next uh, iteration. <laughs> yeah, Aaron, what what are you looking like? I'd probably be like mostly myself, but have like a Hellboy type of right arm. Mm, I like it. Like, was it like gigantic then? Yeah, just you know, you know, it still has yeah. like the hand at the end, so I can like you know do stuff. But like grip you things, know, the yeah, grip things. But like the rest of the arms, like you know, giant because why not? Yeah, yeah, we're going well, to like, yeah. what purpose though for just to smash things? Oh, maybe you know, maybe it has like a sewing kit inside or something, something useful. I don't know. <laughs> sewing kit. I mean, you know how you know how often you could use a sewing kit sewing. and duct tape. <laughs> you know, just in case he needs to suture something. Yeah, exactly, Abe. Like you know, say like Anna and I are going to a party. I'm like rocking this super cool tux. I got and it's like custom fitted for my giant arm. Suddenly a button pops off, and what am I gonna do? Well, guess what? I open I pop, realized... up, pop open my arm, sew that button right back on there, baby, and then I'm ready to go. I mean, good on you for thinking that far ahead. Uh, the other part is like I just realized that you have to get custom clothing for everything, just because. If I'm like, in a position to there... get giant arms, I feel like I can afford to have a little few custom clothes, in, okay? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm saying that I'm saying that like you know you can't you can't shop at the men's department at Macy's. You got to go like to to buy everything custom. So Again, it... if I have a giant arm, why am I shopping with the hobos <laughs> down at the Macy's when I got a hobos? <laughs> First of all, you can use coupons and Macy's gift bucks. Come on. I don't but know. I've never you're, you're such a Batman guy. You're you wouldn't be like a Batman type of person. That's did what I, I guy, did. I criticize your guys' choices. <laughs> <laughs> all right. How, all right, how are you going to sew with your one normal sized hand? That's Just, true. Well, he's sewing a button on a jacket. Simple enough. On the fly though, with one hand, like oh, I, well, I feel like you haven't thought this through. If we if we were to think, <laughs> he would excuse himself from the dinner table. And he'd say, oh, pardon me, I have to go use the, the men's room. And then he'd go in the men's room and sew his button back on the jacket. Aaron, you'll, you'll let us know if you're having a breakdown, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll be sure <laughs> okay. to do that. All right. <laughs> uh, question for you. Oh, uh, a question for you guys here. Um, if you guys were to run your own bar, what would you name your bar? Uh, the bar in this one is called Kansas, because I guess this movie takes place in Kansas. But uh, what would you name your bar? Hmm. Ooh, I've got one. Hit it. <clears throat> Wunderbar. Wunderbar. <laughs> Try Gleiser? Yeah. <laughs> I like it. That's it. That's all. I, I'm done. That's a good one. Mm, I don't know. I, I uh, Peters? I don't. Yeah. I mean, I, oh, oh, oh uh, I mean, my, my handle on social media is usually pajamos. So I guess it could be pajamos spirits or something like that. I guess maybe something. I, I haven't really thought of that. But yeah. Go okay. I like it. Um, and if you're Aaron? I don't know. Sodas only. Sodas only. Sodas only. Every kind of soda. You're, you're like the uh, uh, you're like the connoisseur of all these international flavors, huh? Yeah, that, that's how I'd be. I like it. Yeah. yeah. Good question, Abe. Yeah, there did we you, go. Did you have a bar name in mind? I don't know. Something like Dino's. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's the version that came to my mind right would now. It be a, would it be a Flintstone-style bar? <laughs> it's, uh, it's actually more modeled after Dinosaurs, a TV show. So, you know, talking dinosaurs with uh, flannel shirts. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. All right. Well, that's how you play. <laughs> no, everybody. A lot less contentious on that second question, it seems. <laughs> I mean, I was backing you up here. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Let's get down now, quickies. Trademark. Each week now, we talk about one we with the other one we talk about one quickies. Yep. It's happy. Happy with that. Abe, have you seen any other movies this week? 
I did not see any other moves this week yet, but I did catch up on season four of Andrew Tribeca. There's, I think, only ten seasons, and it's a, it's there's like not it's, ten it's, seasons. There's like there's... no, there's ten episodes. I'm sorry, okay. ten episodes in season four. And what they've done is they've kind of gone, um, they've kind of gone Archer style, where they're kind of just like doing fun things with the series. So this one is like twenty years later, and she's lost her memory or something like that, and she also has a son played by. Um, Who's the uh, the very tall guy from? Uh, well, man, what is his name? Uh, guy from uh, Boardwalk Empire, and also uh, man, Blue Jasmine and uh, Bobby Cannavale. Bobby Cannavale, thank you. Yeah, so played by Bobby Cannavale, and they're kind of just doing fun hijinks. It's still one of uh, one of my favorite shows because of just the weirdness and quirkiness of the entire series. Ten episodes, very fun, very. Uh, easy to blow through. Uh, if you haven't seen any of those seasons, I would highly recommend it. Where are you so, watching this? Uh, TBS On Demand. Okay. Yeah, but I, I definitely... I've only seen a couple episodes of Andrew Tribeca, but I, it's it's very funny from what I've seen. Like it's like a modern like uh, was it Naked Gun or like Files of Police? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It, Where it's just like everything's a joke. Like, yeah, there's like literal jokes and everything, and then they'll just like play it out. It's just ridiculous. So from the mind of Steve and Nancy uh, Carell. Yeah, they're producers right on the show. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, Peter, what have you seen recently? Uh, happy death day to you. Are we going to talk about, or is that this part? That's this part. Yes. This part? <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, I, um, I, yeah, I've seen a lot, but yeah, the big one I really enjoyed was, uh, I saw the sequel happy death day to you. And, um, I really like, uh, is it Jessica Roth? Is that how we say her last yeah. name? Um, I enjoyed the first one. The first one is probably better. But I really enjoy both of them. It's funny because the sequel came out like a week or two after at Netflix's Russian Doll. Has everyone seen Russian Doll? I have. I have not yeah. yet. Oh, it's really good. But they're all, you know, they're all kind of playing in that ground. The time loop thing, yeah. The time loop thing. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I I enjoyed. I mean, I guess if the first if the first Happy Death Day is kind of Groundhog Day, the second one, I I guess they're taking a Back to the Future two thing. They even. I think Aaron they name check it. Yeah. Yeah. They kind of name check it, you know, where, except I guess it's more like an alternate. See, that's weird though. Cause I think it's an alternate universe. Back to the future two, as I recall, the whole thing is, is that well, there's an alternate there's... timeline in back to the future too. Like that's what they're dealing with. Well, no. Cause I thought it's that they're, they go to an alternate 1985 <laughs> and it's also, it's not a remake of back to the future two. It's just name checking. Like, Hey, there's a lot of similar things going on in this one. Like there were in that one. Like that's not well, wrong. Also, looking oh, the camera and winking. Then it's cool. Right. Right. Okay. When the they whole, name check whole... it, they basically are winking into the camera. Oh, are they really? Okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. You're, you're right. Yes. The whole, yes. The future of back to the future two, which is that, you know, Biff runs everything. Yes. That's absolutely like an alternate timeline. What to me the hook of Back to the Future Two was always that there's that scene where doesn't Doc say something like there are now two of you here and two of me here yeah, and they don't again, do that again it's not a direct remake of it I'm just oh, saying no, no, there's no, certainly no. like the plot shares strands that are very right, similar right. which is why they check name check it to begin with um, but actually that was a thing that in the first twenty minutes that's something I thought they were going to deal with I was like oh are there going to be two trees and everything is that what they're going to do but they don't really go down that road. Uh, but I, I I really I like is it Christopher Landon is that the guy who yes I I like both of these movies and I hope that it didn't do that great this weekend but I hope that because it didn't cost that much money I hope they do a third one because the sting at the end 
that could be funny. Like, that's hmm. not a bad idea. Like, if that's what they're, I don't want to spoil it, but if that's yeah. what the third one's going to be. Um, did yeah. anybody else see it? I mean, clearly I saw it, and I will say, I'm I'm not as big of a fan as the films as you are. Like, and I want to be because there's a lot of stuff that I do like here. Like, I do, I think the, the character-focused stuff is good. Like, there's... I think it, the first these both they get by on having characters that I like I enjoy seeing I enjoy like how they play in this world and there's like uh -huh. even a, a dramatic quality to it that's surprisingly affecting it's just there's something about how it plays kind of fast and loose with some of the stakes where I just can't fully get behind it or end up kind of questioning things more than appreciating them and so uh -huh. ultimately I'm just like yeah. <laughs> well, I, I I think they're made well enough, but I wish the I guess the I I guess I wish the writing was a little better. I mean, I could see that. I think that they're they're, they're I think they're the kind of movies where it it can seem like they're the new something. Like I mean, in the first one, is it? It's kind of like a baby face mask. It's supposed to be like the mask. It's like the mascot of the uh, like the mascot of the university. Yeah. yeah, right. And so the first in the first movie, you kind of like, oh, is this basically like they're going for like scream? It's like this is the new ghost face. But in the second movie, that character, that whole thing is kind of thrown out. I yeah, mean, like the first one is a slasher movie with this gimmick. The second one is a comedy that happens to still have some horror stuff in it. Right. Like it yeah, it dials it way yeah, down it. to a different degree. No, but I still, don't... Uh, still f fun and clever, or not really. I think enough. I mean, okay. it, could, it could be. More. I mean, it's a little hard, especially because I think Russian Doll is so effective. Mm -hmm. Comparing that seems kind of unfair, but I mean, like I. I I, I I give it credit for making for justifying a sequel. I just I still don't think it's all that quite there. That said, I'm also didn't think the first one was all that there. So that's that's <laughs> me on this. Got it. Well, do you know? But you would agree though. Do you like? Uh, do you like just the uh, the main character Jessica Roth? Do you yes, like I, her? I think she does well with what she's given. I think the there's a physical comedy aspect there that works, and the kind of emotional aspect of the drama going on with her dealing with this. I think it works. I just wish. <laughs> I I wish the thing involving, like, I might die for real because of all this trauma I'm suffering. I wish that did just kind of, like, come and go as the script needs it. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. That bothers so, me. Yeah. But, but I but I, again, I still enjoyed it for what it, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I liked it. Good enough. See, Anything else that you saw? Uh, I saw Isn't It Romantic. That's uh, okay. Like, I'm not a huge Rebel Wilson, <laughs> but it's, it's fine. It, I mean, honestly, I don't know how much you guys watch SNL, but... I still do watch SNL and SNL has a thing on weekend update where they, they have these, these skits where it's, it's the girl you didn't want to talk to it at every party or it's the girl from every rom-com. And I feel like those skits that they've done are more effective than what I think isn't it romantic is. I think isn't it romantic really can't justify it's in 90 minute runtime. It really can't really do that much. With I, it, but, so I haven't eh. seen the movie, but if you want to talk about like romantic comedy spoofs, they came together with Paul Rudd and that is fantastic. is a fantastic movie. And that is Wait, underseen. They, they came, came together. together? Yeah. Oh, I've never even heard of that. Oh, theater, theater, how dare you? Oh, that's a wonderful I, movie. I, I haven't heard of it either. Oh, Mike, how dare you? Pa Paul, <laughs> it's, a, it's a David Wayne film. Um, Paul Rudd, Amy Poehler, and like everybody that's funny stars in it. <laughs> like it's it, it's ridiculous. It, yeah. it is a, Aside from that, like being like very... Uh, heavily focused on on you know just like the tropes it's actually still a good movie <laughs> yeah no it works on its own like it feels like an entry in the genre in the same way like Shaun of the dead feels an inch like an entry in the zombie genre it just happens to be 
paying a large amount of homage, let alone directly spoofing tropes that you see in those genres. But yeah, they but, came together. That's the movie to see if you want to talk about romantic comedy. send you guys some things. Amazon gift tickets after this to go right <laughs> huh. on the list. <laughs> and if you like David Wayne films like Wet Hot American Summer or Role Models, like this is right up your alley. Like there's no reason to, 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 to walk the standby on that one. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, Mike, what else have you seen? Uh, well, speaking of chill factor, I saw two chilly movies. I saw Cold Pursuit. Mm-hmm. And shortly after, I followed that up by seeing Arctic. Oh. Oh. Uh, I was a big fan of Arctic. Arctic is great. I mean, Bleecker Street is really becoming one of those distributors out there who like almost guarantee good quality releases, or them and A24. And sure. I'm finding myself growing very loyal to the to the distributor. Mm-hmm. Hey. Um, so yeah, highly recommend Arctic. Um, and then Cold Pursuit is also pretty strong. It's a fun uh, thriller, dark comedy, which is uh, you know thriller with Liam Neeson. We've seen that mode many times but i don't i don't think a lot of those films quite have the sense of sardonic humor mm-hmm. that this one does um it does hew very closely to the original which is called in order of disappearance which is great mm-hmm. with Stan um, is the star with Stan Skarsgård, yeah it's it, that's a terrific film and this film has pretty much transplanted pretty much everything that works um it hews very closely to it so you know by that factor you know you've just swapped out the actors with americans and that means that everything that kind of worked in the original is, is pretty much intact. But of course, if you've seen the original, then as a result, there's very little freshness to it. But that being said, it's, uh, you know, thumbs up. It's a good movie. This uh, controversy with Liam Neeson aside. Um, yeah. <laughs> I I would add, I think by switching it to, for like American audiences, by having instead of, well, like Serbians and Norwegians, you have basically... Boy, Native Americans. Native yeah. Americans and, you know, white people. And as far as rival mobs that become involved with the thing that Liam Neeson's going through. And maybe it just comes from, I'm not European, so I don't know the kind of disparity between the, <laughs> the two of them. But, you know, Native Americans versus, you know, mobster white people, it's a lot easier to kind of see, like, okay, I, I see the why there's a rivalry going on here for more obvious reasons. And yeah, maybe... Mm-hmm. It, I would say, like, I think the movie's amazing, but I do think there's things that stand out because of that kind of separation that you can plainly see in front of you. Yeah, I, I agree. The the kind of the updating and localizing it to an American setting in which mm-hmm. the, the rivalry uh, and, and I'm in the same boat with you with the European version. I don't know if there's more commentary going on other than it just being a territorial dispute. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this case, certainly, in addition to updating it to sort of a, a local native uh, uh, rival gang you do end up sort of injecting the film with a little bit of sort of questions about whiteness versus nativism and not, not that kind of nativism, but the sort of native American history and the kind of struggle for territory and power. And that there's a dynamic there that uh, that's definitely interesting. It's also just kind of a welcome change, not a change so much, but a a kind of a spin on I'm, I'm personally growing a little bit tired of this an aging action hero, Liam Neeson. Uh And, you know, when you hear the Liam Neeson starring in a new revenge thriller, that that doesn't get me going at all at this point. Mm-hmm. But to kind of take advantage of what appears to be kind of a latent ability for comedy that Liam Neeson does have, we don't see it often enough. Um, this movie does work very well as a, a sly dark comedy, right? Yeah, and Liam Neeson 
himself doesn't feel out of place at all. He feels kind of right at home in that uh, that combination of elements here. So the thriller aspect of it maybe feels a little more routine because you kind of know what to expect with Liam Neeson at this point. But the comedy aspect of it is is a bit more subversive and um, maybe unexpected for people going in without knowing the original. And I think that would be very uh, welcome to people. I, I would say I don't disagree. And that's why I do look forward to the young Colette Sarah versions of this Neeson thing, just because I do think he does interesting things for as a director um, to kind of mix up the Neeson persona in these various films, which are yeah. not necessarily revenge films, but they're certainly yeah, the aging action hero type of thing. Um, and I would I would add that for this film for Cold Pursuit, which is again it's directed by Hans Peter Maland, there he starts to become less and less involved in the main plot, which um, I did find humorous just because there's there's a lot of dark comedy to come from the mobsters facing it, like what they're dealing with, particularly the lead villain who plays was played by Tom Bateman. I, I kind of wish there was a different actor there. I, honestly, I kind of wish that like Alexander Skarsgård would have been the lead villain because that'd be a fun. That would have been. That'd be uh, a fun. That'd, that'd be a fun nod to the original since you have Stellan yeah, Skarsgård and nice Alexander as the yeah. Um, and I, but I also think he has a menace to him, but he can also use that to his advantage from a comedic standpoint. Where Tom Bateman, I think he's just because I, I know the original well enough. I'm like, okay, this is just a, another version of like this kind of OCD mobster guy. Like, it's a weird performance, but mm -hmm. regardless, I, I it's neat to see how Denise is kind of thrown in the back seat for a lot of this movie to kind of, because the mobster thing takes over. Like, so there's, yeah, there's a lot to like here, and yeah, it is kind of different from the others, mainly because of the sense of humor involved. I'm glad to hear that Neeson uh, is doing some uh, funny stuff, uh, you know. He's, he's, he's seemingly a funny guy, so I like when people kind of, or when actors sort of play uh, opposite their, I guess, their, their known roles well, yeah uh, <laughs> although i think it's worth noting that he he does play the straight man in this sure. film a lot of weird stuff going on around him but there he is, does it yeah. definitely there's one shot though because this is right out of the original too where early on it seems like because of what's taken place to set him off he's going to attempt to kill himself first and there's a shot where he has a he has this giant rifle in his mouth but he hears something that distracts him and there's a shot of like the note the like the 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 muzzle of the rifle like on his lip as he kind of turns uh -huh. his head and it just, it's he, funny he yeah. moves it just enough so like it moves his entire lip and it's just like a weird shot where it's in both versions of the movies like that's a fun like piece of detail that you like interesting this american version of too it's just, weirdly goofy yeah it's a goofyish moment that like it gives you a hint that things aren't going to be like all straightforward and serious throughout the rest of this movie <laughs> <laughs> okay anything else that you saw uh me anything uh i just came home from fighting with my family earlier oh. today which is super charming. I okay, glad to hear it too. Yeah, yeah, I don't know the yeah. first thing about uh, WWE, and I don't follow any of that. But, but that's really not what the film. That's not where its heart is, right? Yeah. Uh, it's it's very good. It's it's got I'm a glad very because it's, I'm, it's I'm, got I'm, a phenomenally I'm, high Rotten Tomato score, which is very deserved. Yeah. I think yeah. I, I like the trailer, and I like uh, I like the the warm fuzzies that I got from it. So I'm glad to hear that it's uh, charming. I it agree. it delivers the warms and fuzzies for sure. I I agree with Mike. I do think it's a charming film. It has a lot of heart. I think uh, this is Stephen Merchant's like first lead like solo. He did one movie with G Ricky Gervais, but like this is his first like lead, lead like sold solo directing gig. And mm -hmm. yeah, he brings a lot of. There's a lot of wit in the humor. I think. Um, and the performances are all nice, and Vince Vaughn is quite good. Like he, he plays like the coach, and yeah, I tend to. I think Vince Vaughn is very good given the right material, and so when he is given that, he's. I think he shines, and this is one of those examples. I think he's very good in this kind of supporting role. Like, How was he in uh, American uh, or True Detective season two? Was he 
good and even though the show wasn't great was he at least good i don't or... think th- i and i think peter uh, you're a fan of season of season two of true detective right i'm i'm well i mean i still think season two is less i mean i think season three is already better in season one however mm. um i mean to me it's really more colin farrell that i thought was really good in season two Got it. okay so, we'll say this i do think that Vince Vaughn is stepping out in, in season two. I think he's stepping out of his comfort zone. I think it doesn't always work, but I, but I, you know, give him credit. I'm like, Oh, he was trying. Eh, I I, I mean, for season two, like, I don't think the acting was my issue with season two of true detective. Like I think all the, cause you had, what else you had McAdams and um, and, uh, Taylor Kitsch, Taylor Kitsch. And like, I don't think any of of the, it wasn't the, yeah, Taylor Kitsch. I don't think any of them were bad as far as their performance. Cause I just think the writing was all over the place as far as the story you wanted to tell. Okay. Well, good to know. Sorry for that little tangent on, uh, yeah, yeah, I have a different fine. tangent I want to go on. Hit it. <laughs> Mike, you mentioned how you don't know a first thing about wrestling, right? No. I, I, so I wrote about this in my review a bit where I see a lot of reviews that kind of say the same thing where it's like, I don't watch wrestling or know anything about wrestling, but this, it, I like, we get a lot of films where we don't really know about the thing that the characters are doing. Like, I'm not a, I'm not a president. I'm not a, a <laughs> teacher. I, I'm not a plumber. But we get plenty of films that deal specifically with like things like pe- authority figures. I don't feel the need in my reviews to write. I'm not a president, but like, it's so it's just well, weird. I'm not putting out you. I'm not yelling at you. Wait, yeah, like, where does this come from? Well, it's just because yeah. I see like this thing, like, like you need, to ju- you need to justify liking a movie about wrestling for some reason where it doesn't yeah, apply yeah, yeah. to other things. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, yeah, I do know what you mean. I think with two exceptions, one is that uh, this is based on a true story. And so, so I didn't feel... about presidents. <laughs> right, right, sure. But, but, but that goes to the second thing, uh-huh. right? So the first thing is that because it's based on a real, real person, I was happy that my complete lack of knowledge of this real person and her history, this superstar named Paige, mm-hmm. uh, didn't in any way impede my ability to enjoy some of the real, the warm and fuzzies that the film was delivering. As to the second thing, presidents are more public profiles as opposed to this sort of very niche but very loyal fan base of wwe and wrestling i mean people who are loyal fans of wrestling are just enormous fans right so there's this hierarchy of fandom that in a less finessed movie i think less dramatically satisfying movie maybe would have alienated me a little bit if i was sitting there thinking yeah i feel like i might get into this more or enjoy it on a deeper level if i knew who these characters were but the film doesn't really, I'm sure it works on that level for people who know all the references, but I didn't feel kind of uh, excluded from the, uh, from enjoying it in that sense at all. I'm not a fan. I'm not, a, I'm not a member of the royal family from the 18th century, but. Oh, for God's sakes. <laughs> so, so you would keep, like, which finger would you keep the sewing kit in? Is it like in the. <laughs> it'd be in call the back, arm. Call back, it'd call be back. in the arm itself. The, okay, so you sure you wouldn't. Save a compartment for like M and M's or loose. I didn't say it solely be a sewing kit. <laughs> I was thinking of of things that are practical of, of practical use. That's one of them. That's all. Yeah, it... I've never found myself in need of a sewing kit out on a dinner date. You never know. You never know, though. True. You never know. <laughs> That's the hashtag for this for this episode. I've seen a few things this week. Hit it. Uh, first, I saw I saw a couple documentaries. Uh, one is the Hale County This Morning This Evening, which is up for an Academy Award. 
Um, it is a terrific film that's a whopping 76 minutes so it takes almost no time of your day to watch it Um, it's going to be it's streaming on pbs right now so if anyone wants to watch this they easily can Um, it takes place in hill county which is in alabama it's very much a black community and the it's a doc that doesn't have a specific perspective like it's not following one person it just kind of goes it jumps around to a, a variety of different people that are living in this area um it just kind of gives you a slice of life of their day and it's becomes this kind of moving collage of sorts where you're just kind of following around this area seeing these different people the environment they're in and what have you there's an inherent kind of social commentary going on because you're seeing things that they have to face or whatnot but it's a wonderful documentary um it's a very easy watch i think it it all comes together quite nicely there's a lot of great editing in this movie um, as far as how it transitions from like one person to another you get to see them like doing certain actions and then it kind of transitions to another shot of somebody else doing something completely different but it kind of matches up so it's a well-directed documentary i think it's well worth anyone's time Uh, that's hale county this morning this evening um the other documentary i watched was horror noir um ah. this is streaming exclusively on shutter right now i was only able to see it because i started a free trial on shutter um this is the streaming service that's dedicated to horror films in general um it's a documentary that goes over uh basically black culture black filmmakers and black actors in horror films from through the history of horror cinema so it starts way back starts it starts with birth of a nation um, and it, it tracks all the way up to to now where yeah. you have Jordan Peele is one of the many people that are interviewed talking all about Get Out, let alone, um, and there's some clips of us towards the end as well. But you mm-hmm. have a lot of great actors, and you have Keith David and like Ken Foree paired together talking about like the various movies that they've seen. You have um, Ernest Dickerson and uh, what's his name, Rusty Rusty Condiff, I think, the director of Tales from the Hood. You get a you get a lot of Tales just, from the Hood. You get a lot of director, a lot of you know black directors and black actors. Um, as well as um, some university professors uh, that are just going over the nature of how black people have influenced cinema in good and bad ways, let alone how their involvement has certainly increased over time and certainly for more to more positive effect. Um, it's a fantastic documentary. It's only like 90 minutes again. And uh, yeah, no, it's, it was a great watch for sure. As a as first, as a fan of horror and, you know, having a very, very much wanting to see something like this that, you know, connects a variety of things that I'm interested in together. Uh, it's a great watch and you get a lot of great clips from uh, horror movies from all from, you know, from all the way from the twenties and thirties up to now. So it's a, mm. it's a good, it's a good watch for both entertainment value as well as just cinema history. So, yeah. Um, what else? We talked about all the other movies you guys saw. Um, oh, I will say I watched The Wife, uh, the film uh, okay. with uh, mm-hmm. Glenn Close, um, who's up for uh, Best yeah. Actress, um, and Jonathan Price. It's fine. Like, I I feel like I saw where, like, knowing very little about it going in, I was like, I feel like I knew where it was going pretty much right away. That said, like, it's well acted. You have uh, Jonathan Price plays a writer who is about to win a Nobel Prize for literature, and Glenn Close plays his wife. And you basically get a perspective on what this couple has gone through uh, via flashbacks um, to younger actors playing them. And I will say the actor playing young Jonathan Price is very good. <laughs> like, okay. Like, that's, it's the kind of thing where it's like, I know Jonathan Price well enough just from seeing him in movies, but like well, even watching him in this movie, and then you flash back to his younger counterpart, it's like, this guy's doing a great job. I know exactly the kind of inflections he's going for to make this work as a younger version of this guy. Uh, but of course, the showcase is Glenn Close, since she's up for Best Actress, and she yeah mm-hmm. she does the job. Um, it's a it's a strong performance. I, I 
does it deserve to win best actors like it most likely will next weekend i don't know like it's quite good i i it wasn't it doesn't feel like a kind of gimme award in the same way or like a life achievement award in the same way like i don't know al pacino's incentive woman does so it's it feels it would feel more it would feel more deserved than some other oscars that just feel like okay we gave it to him this time but well aaron let me ask you um can i ask you aaron um i decided to get can you ever forgive me? And I specifically wanted to, I do like Melissa McCarthy and I specifically was like, Oh, I'd like to watch this before the Oscars. But I did consider the wife. Cause I was like, Oh, these are both big, supposedly big, strong performances. Just curious. Now, obviously they're completely different subject matters, but did you have a preference of those two movies? Oh, I would easily say, can you ever forgive me is the better movie of the two. And I think, and again, the answer I, is yes, I can forgive you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, and I, I get, I've said this before. I think that's Melissa McCarthy's best role as an actress in movies. So I, I mean, I think she's very good in that movie. Okay. All right. So I made the right choice. <laughs> yeah. I, I, um, with that, I, I think the wife isn't spectacular. I mean, the performance is, mm-hmm. I think she really does carry it through. And there's this, is this kind of, she's a very watchable, actor right? she's really dynamic and she carries every scene she's in and so you know if this is the role that glenn close finally gets an oscar for then there's no it's like 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 aaron was saying it doesn't feel like a gimme it, it does feel deserved but the movie itself isn't really raising the bar at all it's not doing anything really all that new there's nothing in it that's particularly surprising it doesn't really have the kind of strong supporting characters that say can you ever forgive me does most notably in richard e grant um, you know, it's got like a son who's brooding and nothing yeah. else, just a little too brooding. And, Christian uh, Slater, Slater is, uh, is, a, is annoying smarmy. Yeah, yeah, he's smarmy, <laughs> but also like a little too smarmy because he's only in one key the whole time. So, yeah, it, it's as a drama, I don't didn't find the wife all that satisfying or surprising in ways that uh, Can You Ever Forgive Me really is. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. So yeah, that's the wife. Uh, also, Anna and I finished all the short films that are nominated for Oscars. Um, I think I mentioned last week that the live-action <laughs> short films are quite depressing because they're all, they're four out of five of them are all about children in peril, which is like it can be stressful. Um, we watched all these short documentaries, which are mostly downers as well. But I mean, they're it's it's worthwhile to watch these. I do I do like. I promote the idea of watching these because the filmmaking tends to be quite good. Um, you get to see films from a unique perspective a lot of times, specifically specifically with the documentaries where you get to see a lot of times other cultures um, and how they deal with certain things that you might not be privy to otherwise. Um, and any, again, the, any standouts? Um, I mean, the animation, I keep saying, is the, the, the best of the bunch. I think all five films in that category all work really well. Um, the Of the live actions, uh, Falva is uh, my favorite of that pack. Um, which I believe is a French film, French Canadian, maybe. Um, so yeah, those uh, that's kind of where I'm at with the short films. But I, you know, in general, I do since if you watch them, you tend to watch them all packaged together. Um, I I don't not recommend them because I just I want to champion the the short films that are up for Oscars. And um, now no longer relegated to commercial break. Exactly. <laughs> um, Good for them. So with that out of the way, that's on quickies. Yeah. Let's move on now. Let's get to our trailer talk where we talk about one of the newest movie trailers of the week. When it's coming out, what we thought of it, what have you. And this week we were talking Danny Boyle's Yesterday, uh, a new film uh, written by Richard Curtis of uh, what, Love Actually and Notting Hill and all those uh, English romantic comedies. Um, it revolves around a struggling musician who one day realizes he's the only person on earth who can remember the Beatles. Uh, yeah. Let's, uh, let's start. Peter, what's up with you? 
Yeah, I thought it was, you know, it's so funny, man. Like, I am, I was pretty happy when um, we heard that Danny Boyle had dropped out of 007, because I'm not a, not a huge Danny Boyle guy. I really like Steve Jobs, but I tend to think of that as more of an Aaron Sorkin thing. But, but I do think he did a solid job directing. Um, but I got to say, yeah, I think it's a really, it's a great idea. It's a great premise for a movie. And it feels like the kind of thing that I think, yeah, I guess this could play to kind of Boyle's uh, strengths and stuff. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm totally looking forward to it. And I, I don't know who the lead is, the actor. I haven't seen him before, but it seems very charming. And it just, yeah, it seems really, yeah, I, I totally like it. So at least in the trailer, I mean. Abe? I really enjoyed this trailer. I thought it was uh, charming, a term that we used earlier. Uh, but what I really liked about it is that uh, the I get Hamish Patel, that guy sounds like he could really sing, and I, I'm just glad that uh, uh, a movie like this is being made because it's made by people that I that I uh, whose works I've enjoyed in the past. Director Danny Boyle and like what Aaron mentioned, the writer who has written stuff like uh, Love Actually and uh, Notting Hill and whatever else. But um, about it, time, about time. Oh, that's why I like the best time travel, like un un unheralded time travel movies. Uh, but um, yeah, I. I I've seen the trailer like four or five times already. I'm like super enamored with this and uh, I just can't wait for it to come out. And I hope that it's uh, not a bust. But uh, for the most part, uh, I'm really, really, in, uh, uh, really uh, feeling this trailer. Mike, how about you? I actually have a story about this film. <clears throat> oh. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine is the location manager on the production. Uh-huh. And uh, last July, I was on the set with Danny Boyle. Whoa. DB? Yeah, uh, <laughs> there, there's a section of the film involving the main character coming out to L.A., and they filmed it at the W Hotel in Hollywood, which is where I live, and so they invited me to hang out on set for a day and showed me around. I was uh, watching the monitors over Danny Bell's shoulders for, for a while. Oh, very cool. Oh. Yeah, it was very cool, It was and, and uh, not just cool, it was rather humbling to see yeah. the actual labor involved in how a film gets made, just hundreds of people working hard to make it all click together. It's an experience I'd recommend to anyone who loves film and uh, wants to think about it more seriously. Um, cool. Yeah, yeah. So actually at the time, it was uh, still the untitled Danny Boyle project. So mm. when you told me we were looking at the Yesterday trailer, I didn't realize that that's what that film was. Mm -hmm. uh, they'd since given it a title. So it looks fun. I was a bit distracted because I couldn't help but wonder what kind of fees they were accruing and licensing all the Beatles songs. <laughs> I thought about that too. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um, I have a deep, deep worry that the film is going to end with like, uh, it was all a dream twist ending. Yeah. Which would be, interesting. Which would be a bummer. But um, they do have a ma major teaser in the trailer during the James Corden segment, implying that Paul McCartney and uh, Ringo Starr are going to make cameos. Hmm. Uh Am I correct in assuming that's kind of a... That's what it looks like to me, too. That's a big yeah. tease. I mean, if that's, if that's a thing, I hope they don't reveal it in the subsequent trailer. I hope they keep that a secret. Uh, this is why I don't watch subsequent trailers. Yeah. Although I love it if they also plop Yoko Ono in there for good measure. I, I would like to add, though, that... <laughs> I mean, she, she's a movie star in Isle of Dogs, so I mean, you know... You know Do it. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Plop her in. I'd like, I'd like to say that uh, while I, that does sound really fascinating to actually be on a big production movie like that and to see Danny Boyle and everything, that does sound great. I will say that your hesitancy, though, that's usually my problem with... Actually, I, you know, I think of it, I think it's mostly Danny Boyle slash Alex Garland projects or something. Like, I usually feel like The Beach and 20... I always feel like he can't really close the movie. It never... He can't really, like, put the nail... You know, he never really... What is it? Put a pin on it or whatever. So when you're saying, oh, I'm a little worried about 
that the, the all about it's, it's all dream thing. I hope you're right. I hope that's not it. But it wouldn't surprise me because I do feel a lot of a lot of Boyle projects. I'm always like, ah, kind of loses steam in the last like 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, my, my best example of that is probably Sunshine, which I think is yeah, also Alex like, Garland. like really, really strong until the last maybe 15 minutes. It just kind of becomes an incoherent mess. I so I used to feel that way, and the more I've watched Sunshine, because I really do like it, especially great I mean, score. It does have a great score, but I do I have a lot more appreciation of where it goes than when I first saw it, because I do think it's really it. If I if I break it down enough, I'm like I get what this movie's doing. I I don't think it's maybe the shining part of the film, but I do think it. I think it's doing a lot that works more than you might think it does after after one viewing. I think it rewards yeah. rewatches. At the same time, what Peter you're talking about, it's three of his movies out of his entire career, <laughs> and I and I do I, I am a big Danny Boyle fan. And, I mean, you're, you're talking about The Beach, 28 Days Later, and Sunshine. Yeah, those are movies. Uh, the Beach is probably my least favorite of his films, but I'm a big fan of the rest of his filmography. And mm-hmm. also, you it's not Alex Garland writing this movie. It's Richard Curtis, who has a very strong track record as far sure. as a writer and director. Um, yeah, so that's I, true. That's a, that is a big part of why I'm looking forward to this film. It also just looks like a lot of fun. Like, I, I would like to see more, like you know, a tour journeyman directors take on like a big fun summer project like this. That's just like, Hey, how about this high concept? And let's see where this goes mm-hmm. and make that work. Will it work? I don't know. But from what I'm seeing, I'm certainly intrigued. And I also was very curious about the budget being spent on <laughs> getting Beatles licenses for <laughs> this movie. It's like, wow, this movie seems, a lot expensive. Of songs. <laughs> this seems expensive and not because they're going to a lot of places. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I'm looking forward to yesterday for sure. Like I, I like Danny Boyle enough where I'm like, I want to see new movies that he does. Like that, that gets that gets me excited for things. Um, sure. So with all that said, uh, yesterday arrives in theaters June 28th. So uh, yeah, Oof, packed we'll, summer. Uh huh. All right, let's well, a trailer talk. Let's move on now. Let's get to our main review for Alita: colon, Battle Angel. Didn't I tell you to be home before dark? I just lost track of time. Alita. You have to be responsible. You are someone very special. Hey, kid. Not just a teenage girl. Hey, what's your problem? You can't remember. What do you mean? Doc found you in the scrapyard. So you must be from up there. And I'm just an insignificant girl. That's what they want you to think. That should have been some of the trailer for Alita, Battle Angel, before Avatar, James Cameron had been working on making an adaptation of Yukito Koshiro's Battle Angel Alita. Needing to see advances in technology, he eventually put it on the back burner to focus on Pandora. Eventually, with the need to push forward on Avatar sequels, he handed the reins over to Robert Riguez, a director who, like Cameron, started out from small beginnings with a low-budget hit, and also, like Cameron, continued working mostly outside the Hollywood system to pursue projects that interested him. Now we have the final result, Alita, Battle Angel. The story of a rebuilt cyborg woman, played by Rosa Salazar, who quickly learns all that she is capable of by way of bounty hunters and blood sport competitions. Peter, where, um, what, what, what were you looking? What were you thinking you were going to get into with Alita: Battle Angel? And then, what did you think of the film? What was I looking forward to? I was looking forward to. I really wanted to see how much they could pull off um, the motion capture of. Uh, What's it? Salazar, what's her first name? The actress? Rosa, Rosa? Rosa Salazar. I wanted to see how much they could pull off her performance with a, in, in a real world more than 
Because in Avatar, everything is so lush and stuff. You kind of, your mind kind of is just like, well, this is all unreal and that's okay. And I guess I was kind of like, well, with Alita, it's the future, but it should somewhat look like a real place. Um, so I was very curious to see how that meshing of uh, technology and stuff would work. And I had never read uh, the manga, so I didn't really know the story, but I'm always up for any kind of, you know, ghost in the shell or a key. I'm always up for any of that kind of stuff. So I was like, well, I hope it's, you know, it's probably a pretty good story. So, but I would say, yes, tech, my big thing was how will the photorealism, will, will it really work, you know, for me and stuff? I didn't, I didn't doubt that Rodriguez would be able to pull off like, good action scenes and energy because he's, he's usually really good with that so mm. what'd you think of the movie overall i i thought it was sort of a hot mess but i think in in a way that i in, in a way that works for me i guess if that makes sense i would not say it's as good as like i gen and i think aaron you agree like i really think valerian in the city of a thousand planets is a it's a good film like on, it's on this podcast film. we are big fans of valerian how dare you peter that's like one of the best movies from <laughs> no i really no no no. i really like valerian and um, i know i know I, yeah. and i would say that this movie like valerian or john carter or i don't know there's like a, there's a lot of these like they're not really i don't know what, what would we call these because it's not like they're not based on other properties but we don't see them as like expensive blockbusters that aren't comic popular comic books yeah and it's not star wars right yeah so yeah, okay. i mean but but i'm always hoping that these movies can find an audience because these are the movies that i kind of you know the spielberg Luke, like this the camera these are the kind of things i grew up with so i always want these movies to be really great but that said I don't think – I mean I can't really blame anybody that they really love their Marvel movies and I can't really say, yeah, Alita, it's you know, it's a 10. It's like, no, it's not. I mean if – it's not. But I, but I I, really enjoyed it and I would hope that it would do well enough that they can make more. I'll say this. How about this? The best thing I could say about it is that – and now I might get a how dare you, Peter. But I would say this. I – and more interested story-wise in more Alita than I am Avatar. I'm not talking about, of course, I can't wait to see James Cameron direct something, and I, I hope he comes up with something cool. But as far as just the world building, I'd way rather see more Alita than Avatar. So I think that's the that's the highest compliment I could probably say for the movie. Okay. All right. All right. Mike, um where are you with director Robert Rodriguez as far as what he's delivered so far? And how do you feel about Alita and his giants to step into kind of a big budget blockbuster territory? Oh, sorry. I was done throwing up in my mouth from hearing you guys say Valerian's a good movie, but <laughs> Where, where's the hang up button for Peter, for, for Mike? <laughs> Y'all are insane. Um, this was your, sorry. Your question was about Robert Rodriguez. It was about, <laughs> yeah. I was asking you, what did you, what do you think of of where Robert Rodriguez is, where he has been versus where he is now going into this kind of big budget territory? Yeah, he's got such an interesting career when you think about it, especially given that his early action films were always a bit more frenetic and rebellious. Whether it's like El Mariachi or Desperado or From Dust Till Dawn, there's like a scrappy, and I don't want to say experimental, but the sort of like devil may care attitude to these films. Mm -hmm. And he also demonstrates that he's a filmmaker who really knew at the time how to stretch a dollar mm -hmm. right and then with like spy kids it's in the city he's clearly operating on a different set of production modes and like budgetary priorities with uh 
probably very little room for improvisation at this point, right? So <clears throat> I think I'm not sure, you know, which of the two Rodriguez's, uh, you know, your your average Joe audience member might prefer. But as Peter was saying, I mean, he knows how to choreograph good action. Uh, that stuff works quite well. Uh, it's never boring. He, he knows how to kind of keep it, keep it a pace, even though this film, I figure we'll get into this a bit, but it is way too long. Uh, it's got uh, too much going on. But in terms of the film itself, I, I came into this really skeptical of the film. I'm not familiar with the source material either, but I am a very avid fan of the cyberpunk genre uh, generally. We've talked previously on the show about body horror. Mm-hmm. And this is a key area in which some very similar uh, tropes spill over into science fiction, right? They, they play out in themes like, where is the dividing line between humanity and machinery? And what's the uh, what what role do ethics play in a post-biological society? And those themes are all... Well, what, is, what does it mean to put an Asian, uh, an Asian brain oh, in yeah, a white well, person? Yeah, there, yeah. <laughs> I mean, those themes are all very present here. And so that's just to say that my investment in the genre raises the stakes for me a bit. I tend to come into these films with a very high degree of interest, but also some pretty fixed expectations. So with all that out of the way, I, I wouldn't say I loved it. I feel like if, if I may characterize Peter's response as kind of a tentative yes to the movie, I'm, I feel like I'm somewhere in that area as well. I, I didn't certainly didn't hate it. I think it's reasonably entertaining if you're willing to kind of go with it on its own terms. Um, uh I mean, there are worse ways to spend two hours trapped in the uncanny valley. Let's put it that way. Um, (laughs) I I think about 51% of the movie doesn't work. And that does make it a net negative for me. But to give credit where credit is due, I think maybe 49% of it actually works pretty well as a sci-fi action film with some ideas going on that are like engaging enough to hold your interest and complemented by visuals that for the most part, and that's a big asterisk there for me, but for the most part, are pretty stylish and slick. I think that's some place the film deserves some amount of credit. So you know, it gets a pass. Mm. All right, Abe, how about you? Where are you at? I, uh, in far as as far as Rodriguez, uh, sure, he's been kind of doing his own thing for in the early start, and then also moved into some more, I guess, larger budget stuff. But I've enjoyed his style of movie, and I've also enjoyed kind of like his. I, I don't know if you would call it like, you know. Uh, guerrilla style on the boots type directing, you know, in terms of like stretching a dollar, but I, I've enjoyed what he's been able to do and kind of the, the, which, which we call the advice that he does get, which is just like, you know, if you're interested in making a movie or if, if you have ideas about doing stuff, then just go out and make it. Cause there's so much technology out there right now that uh, you're able to probably make things that, that uh, you weren't able to, you know, decades ago. Um, and, you know, we're seeing that with stuff like Soderbergh too. He's experimenting a lot with iPhones. But as far as Alita Battle Angel, or Battle Angel, or, Bubble Angle, the movie is Battle Angel. Yeah, Bubble, Bubble Battle Angle. Angel. Oh, yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as far as Bubble 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 Angle goes, but the movie is um, uh, Alita Battle Angel. So as far as Alita goes, um, I I like this movie. I, I think that there's actually a lot that they're um, hopeful for. Uh, I know that the movie kind of. Um, I think I'd read some places, and I'm going to paraphrase, where it kind of feels like a chapter one rather than um, a book one type thing. And I'm going to like not say it's like just completely chapter one, but I do agree that maybe there's um, some open doors that I'm hopeful that they're that they're able to continue with. Because what I liked about the movie is not so much um, like the stylized violence or whatever else, but 
I just like uh, what they were able to do with uh, a property like this and what they were able to put on the screen. I mean, it looks like it's uh, true enough to the comic books. And I know that there's probably a lot of uh, controversy around maybe some of the casting and what have you, but there actually the hasn't part, been surprisingly. I know, surprisingly, <laughs> like, but so. for the most part, it's like it's the thing that I will give it a knock on is that the script just feels like super weak. Um, and I can't really explain whether it's like they were reading the the comic or the manga and kind of, you know, lifting lines from there, or if they just decided like, you know, this is a good enough script or it's for, you know, a certain select audience and <laughs> they're not going to mind so much. But I would say that the script is probably the, the weakest part. And obviously the concepts in here, like this roller derby to the death thing, you know, it's kind of nineties, you know, but, um, it is what it is. Uh, I would say that the only other thing that I kind of really didn't like was, uh, was I guess perhaps this this you know this weird nefarious uh, um, he he literally looks like a, a video game character. So um, which, what is his name? Um, the guy with the blue eyes. Mahershal Ali's character? No, the guy who controls him from time to time. Oh. Are, are we allowed to reveal the big uh, thing at the end? We don't no? need to. Yeah, I'm uh, trying to trying to name his bad guy name. Oh, no, no, there. I know it was like once of like one word. Yeah, yeah so Nova. you know, like like these these characters and and these actors, they they literally look like things that come out of uh, video games. But um, you know, I, in watching this movie, I think about other properties that they are they're probably able to make now, and I think about stuff like Mega Man, or I think about stuff like Big Guy and Rusty, and I kind of in watching this, it, it gave me vibes of like Edward Scissorhand type things. Um, but I enjoyed it. I don't think that the the last act is as exciting as like some acts, some things leading up to the last act. But that's kind of where you know I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that they that they go and and are able to make uh, a few other uh, as they hope to do. I um I'm a big fan of Robert Rodriguez. I, I have continually liked the way he's taken this like I'm just gonna make everything out of my own studio type type of a of a way of playing into hollywood's game and doing it in his own way i've had issue with whether or not he's ever been gonna like step out of that realm um because of the more recent entries like the machete sequel and the sin city sequel where it's like okay you're just doing the same thing and i wish you would evolve so seeing him step up to the big leagues like this with james cameron of all people that's exciting and I think he's able to deliver here. Um, that said, this is very this is as much a James Cameron film as it is a Robert Rodriguez film. Like it's it's I can certainly emphasize the Rodriguez aspects. I mean, there's a giant bar fight in the middle of this movie that feels exactly like a Robert Rodriguez movie. But the Abe you mentioned like the the uh, the script, um, which I would agree is maybe the weakest element in terms of how certain characters talk to each other and maybe just how expansive it seems to be versus what we really need for the first movie. Um, but it still feels very much like a James Cameron type of writing style <laughs> where you have characters that are kind of saying exactly the things that are on their mind, um, uh, stating the themes directly and what have you, which is not always a bad thing, but it certainly like, it feels, it feels very written. That said, the movie itself, it feels like a manga that's come to life um, in a way where I haven't seen that, effectively done very often even mm-hmm. an anime come to life uh, like the i mean we talked about ghost in the shell before which i don't know peter you're a bigger fan of it than i am but it's certainly yes visually it has its it has some things going for it but like the best example i can think of something to this degree uh would be like speed racer 
uh, as far as this kind of filmmaking and like what it's trying to do on a visual standpoint. And I think a lot of credit goes to that. I think the visuals are terrific here. The special effects, I think, are pretty great um, in a way where it's not about being necessarily photoreal, although, you know, there's obviously there's a texture you can admire as far as what you're seeing with Alita and some of the other cyborg creatures but just the exaggerated style of the the big motor ball sport and other things like that i think it really works i never i'm never confused by what's going on i never feel too distracted by the fact that there are special effects i know like we were talking a lot about people in general were talking a lot about like the eyes alita's big eyes in the trailer leading trailers leading up to this film sure but I, never, I never felt that as a concern in this movie like within context like it all made a visual sense to me where i wasn't distracted by what was going on but instead intrigued by how this world worked and something that Cameron does get right in his movies is world building. And I really liked seeing this world. I mean, I, I would agree with Peter that I, I like seeing what's going on here. And I actually am still more curious in avatar sequels and more Alita, but I'd, I'd happily see more of both mainly because I've seen plenty of dystopian lands. And so that's not really that new for me where I haven't seen all the rest of Pandora. I don't know what's going on there, <laughs> but as far as this movie goes, yeah, I, I like what this was doing. And Abe, you mentioned the, like the sport, the death sport thing, which I mean, that dates back further than the nineties. Sure. Get that, you could get that back to ancient Rome because death yeah. sports are always intriguing. To people, not only, not only is... ancient Rome, but also like fucking like uh, ancient uh, Mexico with the Yucatan yeah. Peninsula. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not a new thing. So it's like, yeah, of course, you're going to find some source of entertainment. They're, they're, gonna, just, it's, they're it's, just on rollerblades, and I was I like, know. this feels like a 90s thing. But it's going to involve, I mean, we talked about rollerball before this podcast started. That's a I 70s know. movie. I mean, yeah. like, it's not, it's a, or even uh, like Running Man is the 80s. Like, it, it's, gladiator battles, they happen. And sure, it makes, sure. it's, it makes sense for this world to be like, well, everything's shit, so what do we do? Well, we'll gamble, drink, and, you know, find a way to incorporate death into our entertainment. Well, there we go. Motorball. <laughs> we got that going. And I I like how this movie's like this weird sports film that happens to have all this other like sci-fi bs going on that like yeah it's the standard like there's a love story and there's some like evil government thing going on whatever give me more motorball that's basically what i'm saying guys i want more motorball in these movies because yeah. that stuff <laughs> I, was like, is, I was like give it, me more some give me more ass kicking it's yeah. so much fun to watch like it's really neat and all the action i think is really fun to watch i think there's a yeah. lot of great work done to make that stuff work but what helps that more is that despite whatever weaknesses in the script, I do think the character stuff, specifically with Alita and with, with Christoph Waltz's character, actually, I do think that's really well handled. I do think that's that's enough for me to be connected with this world and want to, like, be involved with it enough to care. I, I think the, a lesser film wouldn't... It'd be more... It'd want to impress you more of everything going on around these characters. But sure. I think this movie does a great job of giving... Specifically giving you Alita, who you become invested with as a character. I, I think the it does a good job of setting setting her up as this kind of plucky lead where she's not, you know, she's not brooding and she's not kind of, I don't know, too much of like a, a naive thing in this world. She's this kind of earnest robot that wants to like understand things. And the movie spends enough time where you care about the things going on. Like the stakes aren't crazy huge. It's not like the world's going to end or anything like that. But I think there's enough there where, I like what story it's trying to tell, even though it's trying to tell way too much story within one movie. Yeah. So can, can I jump in on that point? Hit yeah, it. Because, sure. like, because I, I said earlier as well that I think the biggest flaw in the film is that there's simply too much plot. Mm-hmm. And I have a slight disagreement maybe with you about where the stakes are, because uh-huh. you've got all these alternating agendas in the film between like sort of building the world because you're also building uh, towards sequels. Uh, but then also introducing these parallel storylines, like you've got the murder ball plot and then the 
romance slash coming of age slash teen rebellion plot. And then there's uh-huh. the whole hunter, hunter killer thing. And then there's the whole sky city. Like, what's it called? Elysium? I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Zalem. <laughs> like, you, like, these different plot points do crisscross each other throughout the film, but not very organically, right? And so where it really doesn't mesh for me is, like, the whole city in the sky. And then there's, like, these war flashbacks, which is really apocalyptic stuff. And then there's a coming of age dimension to Alita's journey. And there's like the sensitive boy in town who has a favorite secret spot that he likes to go and dream big about his future, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, it's a dangerous spot, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That character, he's played by Kean Johnson, who I guess. Oh, I that, that wasn't Joey Lawrence? <laughs> but he's like, whoa. I mean, he's really yeah. like the, the least pronounced version character in this movie. Everyone else is like a star to some degree. And it's like, there's sure. this new kid who's dressed exactly like robert Rodriguez is dressed like in like life so it's like that's fun like I, I don't i don't care much for this aspect of the movie but i do like that for some reason he's like dressed like rodriguez would be in like real life with this leather yeah. jacket and the hat and stuff yeah, well th- there's a middle section of the film when she's reborn in her new body as a as a as a battle angel mm-hmm. uh no as a berserker, a berserker and you can yeah. yeah you can tell christoph waltz really likes saying that word right berserker mm-hmm. but uh <laughs> This section is played almost as if Alita is going through a phase of teenage rebellion. Like, you you know, you can't upgrade to this suit, Alita. It's dangerous. Oh, whatever, Dad. You know, or, or maybe I'll go register as a bounty hunter. Then you'll be sorry. Like That actually just, is what she says okay. in the movie. That's, <laughs> it just, I probably just don't read or watch enough young adult fiction where this balance is really quite common, I think. But to mix in stakes that are really this high and apocalyptic with these instant, instantly familiar tropes of teenage angst, sure. I what, feel like really needs a little bit there, more. It needs what, a little bit the, more finesse. What stakes are introduced, though? By what? Well, like, I mean, what's actually at stake in this movie? Well, that's partly the issue as well because they leave so much hanging. I was really confused mm-hmm. about where the the sort of war and the big battle scenes kind of come I into mean, that, place. That stuff's because... like all like random flashbacks, where I'm like, all right, so that. There's I mean, a mo- there, there's there a moon there's a moon war it. that happened at some point which right, but you, can see, yeah, you, you can see that there's a lot that they just kind of leave hanging, including the identity of the man upstairs that uh, are presumably going to get fleshed out in the future. And so insofar as world building, it does include sort of areas we haven't quite covered yet. But mm-hmm. I feel like there's so much going on that this, yeah, it that, comes that, at the expense of some basic world building coherence that I don't disagree with because I do think the movies, one of you mentioned that the, the like the last act of it is just kind of me. It, it's just kind of wobbly where it's like, all right, there's, we got to, I guess, wrap up this tale. So yeah, this stuff is here and this is there. And there's a guy over there. Like it doesn't really connect to anything more than yeah. next time on Alita, which was like the same. <laughs> that was the same thought, Peter. Remember, we saw like Warcraft. That was the exact like thought yeah, out there. It's like true. the ending uh... is basically next time on Warcraft. Like that's really <laughs> the end of it, where it doesn't really wrap anything up. It just feels like it feels that movie. I mean, I like Alita more than Warcraft, but like that movie was more like the pi- the very expensive pilot episode of a TV series. Sure. Like, where this this feels less so like that. I do think there's. While I I don't think the ending's that great, I do think it's the movie itself is strong enough to be like, all right, there was a beginning, middle, and end to this thing. It just has a lot of roads it still connects to, which I don't know if we're actually going to see them, but we'll we'll see what happens there. Yeah, I mean, I also just want to quickly add in terms of like the world building that you guys were talking about. Um, Peter, you had mentioned Valerian, and and Aaron, you also mentioned that you you like the world building. I kind of thought that it wasn't enough, and maybe this is kind of what Mike was saying too, is is because it wasn't enough. You you kind of really you can't really all these things together um coherently so i mean for example like in valerian they do travel to under the water and or under the the world and you see all these different facets of the city of a thousand planets um and then also when i was thinking about um 
this movie it kind of reminds me of something more like a like a Black Panther, like Wakanda, where it's like it's there, but you don't really explore much of it. You only really see like a few sections of it, and they kind of just keep repeating the same parts. Um, so while I think that they're they that they do want to expand on it, maybe they were just hindered by well, we got to get this first one out, so I can only show you like this one field and then this one lake in addition to the streets where you're going to see a lot of the fighting uh, happen. So I didn't really feel as though the world building was there per se. I, th- I know that they've mentioned it quite a bit and you're seeing a lot of the city in the sky type thing. But for me, it wasn't as as uh, uh, wide as, as maybe I thought that it could have been. I think the big difference with Black Panther specifically is that you see a lot of tradition and culture shining through in a lot of ways versus a movie like this where it's like, all right, everyone's just kind of... what what's What I think is it's yeah. kind of funky about this movie is that it's there's a whole world here, but we only see bounty hunters and people that play sports. Like there's such a, it's a weird, like, all right, everyone's either like a, a hunter killer or a hunter warrior, hunter killer mm-hmm. Terminator, completely different, um, a hunter warrior, or they're just like at this NASCAR type rally thing for motorsport. And, and I guess Christoph Waltz is like the one doctor, like that's it. Like, <laughs> and it's like this. And the, the bounty hunter thing is so out there as far as the rules that are applied to these guys where it's just like well if i accuse you of doing this thing you're guilty and i'll kill you and it's completely legal it's this weird like and that's like that seems like based off this movie half the population is full of these people that are signed up as hunter warriors and the rest are either playing in motorball or watching motorball yeah there's nothing there visually there's a lot going on i mean there's a fucking city in the sky and giant tubes that connect to it and totally yeah slums and, and all that. kinds of stuff and where, where i feel the kind of overstuffed nature of the plot the most is in how underused these fantastic actors are um like how little motivation background anything like that that we get with Mahershala Ali's character, Jennifer Connelly's character. <laughs> How they just kind of uh, randomly appear <clears throat> in places and give monologues and then go away. Well, there's one like particularly egregious moment when, I won't spoil it, but a very important character undergoes a pretty significant change of heart. I'm sure you mm-hmm. know what I'm referring to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With no apparent motivation, no convincing reason that I could discern anyway. And that, to me, is, is a direct uh, result of just having too much going on. If we're talking about the character, I think you're talking about the next sequence is just the remains of a certain person. <laughs> <laughs> that part was weird. But Peter, like, you're going to say? Oh, no. I think that what, what he's uh, – well, this is what I got from it was that I uh, I do think Waltz I, – I agree that Waltz and Salazar have a good chemistry together and I like their relationships. But like Mahershala Ali and Jennifer Connelly and even Jackie Earl – is it Jackie Earl Ailey? Is that who the big bad guy – the big yeah. henchman guy yeah. is? Yes. Like they honestly – it really feels like there's not much of those characters, but it's something if you're like, well, if we can get a name actor, that kind of fills it. That's a shortcut. That kind of fills it in for us. Because, I mean, really, Marshall, all these characters, there's like nothing to that guy. Like, yeah, but just I like really Marshall nicely. Lee, you know, so. He gets these amazing costumes to wear. <laughs> well, he does. You're so. right. So I guess I feel like that's the kind of stuff that, like, just fall short you know what's interesting um let's just say hold on if we're casting the matrix reboot mahershala ali is like top of the line based off this movie oh sure yeah Uh, (laughs) give him all the glasses and trench coats he needs see like what's interesting to me is to me when i for me when i think the movie's kind of a hot mess it's not really i i think i think you guys are making valid points about it being kind of overly plotted or it's like too much story and i i agree with you guys it's more, my thing is more, um, and I'm thinking about 
Valerian or Ready Player One or I'm just trying to think of these other recent or obviously Blade Runner uh, or even Ghost in the Shell. To me, it's more about like there's a certain kind of visual design that the movie has decided on. And it's more about how much they can commit to it in in that realm and how much I think works, how much is consistent and how much do I think is, I guess, engaging. Like there's a lot of uh, like I heard that after the screening I went to, they had a little like video Q&A where um, Cameron Cam- and Rodriguez and talk. Yeah. Right. And one of the things that Rodriguez said was that like when he did Sin City, it was all like it's basically like blue screen. And for him, what he thought was kind of interesting was this. He's like, wow, even though it's motion capture, we're going to have all these sets and it's going to be a lot of practical. The weird thing to me, honestly, is that while I like the idea of that, there is a lot of stuff. And this isn't the only movie that does this. There's a lot of stuff where it's supposed to be like a sci fi city or a cyberpunk city. And it feels like a set. It feels like I'm like, oh, this basically feels like Disneylanders. Like, I don't really think this feels like a real place as opposed to, say, Blade Runner 2049. And I know that those are totally different. Like one's a lot. Sure. You're, not, you're not wrong, though. I yeah. Mean, you're, they're, yeah. And they're, I mean, they're both giant, they're both giant yeah. budget movies. Like, it's not like they have right. a lack of funds to work with. But I, I hear what you're saying because I agree with you. I do think that, like, the main block that Alita and Dyson Ido live on like they're just like you keep revisiting that place. Yes, right. you keep seeing outside of their you know their little homestead. Thing. Like it's, I think I did I describe this to you this way. The movie feels like if it was Phantom Menace, but it all took place on Tatooine. Like that's what this movie feels like. Oh, like, oh yeah, I can see that. Yeah, like, everything is exactly like that block in Tatooine that they're like constantly like running around on in in Phantom Menace. Like that's and even the plot of this movie kind of functions that way, where there's big sports involved and, <laughs> and well, weird true. shadow yeah, monsters right. and everything. Yeah. Like that's racing. Yes, pod uh, racing. Yeah, that, I, um, <laughs> but, uh, I was trying to sound like Jake. Uh, what's his face? Jake Lloyd. Jake Lloyd. But yeah, yeah I mean that. But that movie was also a big set, like the, the sure. tattooing. Like they're still using sets before he switched to digital. The next movie, so it's like it's all there. I, I think they, uh, they use the same announcer voice for the rollerball sequences, right? Like she, as the pod racers. Uh, in Probably. Yeah. So they I, had they had Greg Proops doing the one of the voices. In, um, it sounded really in, familiar in to me. Like she's got the face of an angel and a body that was made <laughs> for battle. As uh, if we're supposed to be like, oh right, right, battle angel, battle <laughs> yeah. angel. Huh. I, I like how like they they discreetly put that in there during the announcement during her her tryout, and then you know later that's how she gets Jesus her. Jesus Christ. Um, but I wanted to touch upon the. Um, just like the the things that you're bringing up, Mike, because I was also a little bit, not that I was confused, but I was a little bit like, this might be a little bit much for the main character, Alita, to kind of get this um, you know, storyline of, uh, an origin storyline of her being an, an unknown, like she has amnesia, but then she's a, a warrior, but also she's going through like this teenage rebellion phase, which I didn't so much mind, but it was confusing because I thought to myself, I feel like she's, if she's a... Um, a cyborg then does she have these types of feelings i mean this is well, a question does. for everybody um yeah i guess that she does but you know the, is the that movie told me that <laughs> but but i was because you know the first flashback where she's uh, on moon the war the war which was like fucking dope um <laughs> yes. i was i was just like i love a good you know is, is it one of those things where like <laughs> yeah exactly. uh is it one of those things where it's like a terminator where you know they they, they can comprehend these things but they don't really know what it is, you know, and they have to like figure out why humans cry, <laughs> or or is it like they they just they understand everything and they know everything, but they're just half. 
Well, like, wa- watching this movie, you can see why James Cameron was attracted to this material and why he wanted to do it. It hits all of the themes he goes through in his movies, in his Terminator movies, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Like, you have a, you, for one, you have a strong female character in the lead, which is typical Cameron. You have robots and sci-fi exploration involved. I mean, it's all right there. Is it as, effe- is it as effective as, you know, his best movies? Not necessarily. Um, I, I would look forward to what a, you know, a sequel could do now that you've got kind of the introduction out of the way, because... Hey that opens up the field to do things that are less familiar and therefore explore characters or the world in a more intriguing way. But I mean, I, I, the questions you're asking are things that I do like about this movie. It does give you kind of this thing to think about, like she's eating chocolate and oranges and like, how does that work? Like she's a robot. Like we're like, it's built with sensory design to enjoy these types of things. And where does it go from there? Like that, that's, that chocolate bar they give her is way too big I think yeah it's, it's a big it's a big chocolate bar, bar. it's like yeah, a wonka it's bar like it's like the biggest it's, wonka wonka. Bar you've ever it's, seen. it's distractingly big <laughs> yeah it's really big but uh, they, it was practical they showed in that like behind the scenes clip where it's showing her in like her motion caption suit versus the real things like oh they gave her actual chocolate bar <laughs> i mean can i because we're talking about alita yeah i feel like the film really hinges on her likability uh-huh. And I, frankly, I found her kind of creepy to look at. Um, what? Oh, no, I, I mean, liked her. I well, I mean, here, yeah. well, let me put it this way. Let, let me put okay. it this way, because maybe that, that was a little harsh. But I think as, no, a, as, a, as a presentation of digital effects, I found the first half of the film far more interesting because the later sequences rely more on action and CGI scenes are kind of CGI action scenes like this. They're a dime a dozen nowadays, and I think they're nicely done in the film. But. What I found really works in the early scenes is how well they integrate the actor. Mm-hmm. What's her name again? Salazar? Rosa Salazar. Rosa Salazar. I, I, you know, she performed in a, um, the mocap technology and something to that effect. And then they later digitized her face, right? And probably her arms as well. Um, but the effect is pretty seamless. I think Alita as a character is very convincingly integrated into her surroundings. And you feel the presence of a real actor whenever she's talking to people or like petting a dog or whatever. But the contours of the face constantly reminded me that i was just watching cgi and it was just kind of i'm just kind of over sci-fi films trying to impress us with digitized human likeness now i think if you contrast that to one of the villains who was i don't remember his name so i'm just going to call him francis from deadpool oh Oh, yeah yeah. 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 they do the opposite with him sort of which is that they keep the actor's face and then digitize his body and to me he looked far more lifelike because the actor's face is what's pivotal to performance delivery here he consistently felt more real and quote-unquote fleshed out uh Uh because your brain or at least my brain is like registering an actor's performance um and also that character is just kind of a real triumph of design work the character himself may not be terribly interesting it's basically the same thing is Deadpool but he has a fantastic look right and I just feel like those characters in which they retained the actor's face felt more alive to me than Alita which just felt like a CGI character I so at that point I would just say it comes down to subjective person you know perspective I, I think I would give the movie credit for like you're saying the first half spending way more time with the characters and having them walk around the world versus the second half which is about them you know running around and battling throughout the world more so anyway Mm-hmm. Um, but at that point, you have a lot of time spent with Alita, the character that you need to buy into in order to kind of support her journey in this film. And I would say, for me personally, I wasn't distracted by the fact that, yes, this actress is having her face being digitized to be this stylized version of what a human could look like with, you know, in a cyborg take or however you want to describe it. Uh, I don't disagree that, yeah, the Ed screen design is 
that's neat like that it, it like that you maintain his face or whatnot but i do think the film is it's having it's having it's taking a lot of ambitious steps as far as trying to make both this thing work this alita design of having an actress entirely digitized and right. you, know, you realize and I think there's a lot of expression that you can see given the tech. I mean, that's why this movie took so long to make to begin with, to make this thing work in the same way that you make, you know, the Navi on Avatar work or any other example of digital characters that you kind of believe in, as well as having characters that are like the answering character or like Jackie Earl Haley's character or like Jeff Faye or any number of other actors that kind of come into this role, making those work alongside something like this. And I'll get that's, you know, mileage may vary. I, I bought into it. Yeah, I guess my, my the thing that I kept wondering during the film was whether this lack of synchronization between Alita, who consistently and very purposefully looks like an like an anime character, mm-hmm. um, with the sort of larger cyberpunk world, which traditionally is a genre that focuses on like very gritty street life and people who are improvising their prosthetics from whatever's around and hustling for spare parts. And she just felt to me like a bit of an alien. And I wonder if... And I'm just I'm basically wondering aloud whether or not the filmmakers made the decision very consciously to pursue the anime look at the cost of possibly distracting their audiences a bit. Myself being just the example here. Um, The the other thing I just I also feel like I I need to still be persuaded as to why Alita's face needed such a very obviously full digital transformation, because I was reminded most of the lady from remember that movie Splice. Yeah. Which is oh, about yeah, ten years yeah. old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, they yeah. yeah, they like digitally tweaked her eyes a bit and made them just a little bit too far apart, giving her this like I guess lizard like appearance. I can't remember what her deal was in that film. Mm-hmm. But it just leads me to believe that there might have been subtler options for making Alita look a bit otherworldly and stylized without us kind of tipping over into the unca- uncanny valley mm-hmm. as much as in my opinion, they did in this film. Uh, you, yeah, you you mentioned CGI battle scenes being a dime a dozen, and I would say that's what this that's that's where that's the challenge of this movie to give you a character that's like Alita that that is coming at you in a way that you are not as familiarized with that it's something new for you to try to embrace because of, you know essentially <laughs> the the more technology advances and whatever kind of ambitious steps directors want to take with specifically sci-fi properties and big budget properties like this you're going to get more stuff like this and i think if it the kind of movie the movie kind of you know lives or dies on whether or not you believe in this thing and it sounds like you're saying that basically it didn't ultimately work for you but i would say that's that's one of the many challenges of this movie to kind of stand out from the pack it's not just giving you you know another dystopian world that you've seen before but with a different color on it it's giving you a fully realized character that has elements that you're not used to seeing and in this case it's because you know it's being adapted specifically from a manga that has a character that looks like this that has giant expressive eyes or what have you it wants to take that and literalize it and ideally it would work uh, I'm not going to say that it's you know a perfect representation of this, but sure. I would say I I bought into this I, I seemingly more than you did. I for for the the characterization of Lita and also the the look of her. What I found interesting is that she like what you guys are all mentioning. She's the only digital, fully digital character on the screen. So when you're watching other people interact with her on the screen, I was like, you know what? It, it's a little distracting at first, but like what Aaron says, like I basically just bought into it by then because I was thinking to myself, you know, she's different from everybody else. I think also a question that I have for everybody here is is her is her background also different? Is she like well, yeah, she's, is, isn't she part of like a different planet from, species from what we altogether? Learned, I mean, it seems like she's not. She is literally otherworldly, right? Like yeah, yeah. So so for 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 that to also come to play, I was like, 
Okay, that makes a little bit more sense too. So that that kind of adds to the way or the reason why I'm um, I'm okay buying that she is the only one that looks this way is because she's otherworldly. And I, I get that it can be distracting. And I know that that was kind of a something that a lot of people were making highlights of when the first trailer was released. But for me, I just went with it. I, I think I had larger parts or I had larger issues with like what you guys are all been saying earlier, just what they are, what the characters are literally saying in between takes, or I'm sorry, in between um, scenes, which is a lot of exposition. Yeah, I mean, oh, yes. I, I, a lot of I, exposition. I, yeah, yeah, tons. I was fine. I was totally fine with Alita's look. I mean, I, I had seen the billboards and posters for so long that I was like, okay, that's, that is her look. And also she's got the mechanical hand. So that, unlike, again, like Ghost in the Shell, where it's like, it basically is just Scarlett Johansson. Like I was like, no, 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 this is, they're going for something. So that totally worked for me. Honestly, for me, it's really more the set stuff. Um, it is interesting, though, that, Aaron, you brought up about that there's a bar fight. I really like that bar fight. I think it's that great. has a lot of energy, and I love how, like, it becomes vertical because it kind of – there's, like, a hole, and then you go down. And, like, it. that stuff I just was, like, like so into. I also want to say that um, as a person who does – probably watch way too many CW shows than he should <laughs> uh, for a, for a middle-aged man. Like um, I actually am totally fine with, um, you know, w- what you were saying about, Oh, she, she gets the suit, but you know, you're not good enough for this. Oh, I'll show you dad. Like you're totally right. That is like a teen angst trope, but that was fine with me. Um, the bigger stuff that bothers me, which is too much plotting is more just like, I don't really care about, what what big war happened in the past and I don't really care about this weird the thing in the sky that they all want to like that's the kind of stuff where it's so abstract and so kind of like cliche to me that I'm just like ah who cares you know like I just want to hang out with Alita and Waltz and the world and like that kind of stuff so also wait can I ask you guys and I think I asked Aaron this when we saw Warcraft would you guys obviously the budget would have to be different do you think your reaction to this would be more positive or negative if this was a pilot for a show or if this was like something on Netflix where this was just the first hour and a half, first two episodes and there's like eight up eight or ten episodes? Do you think you would be more inclined to be like, OK, as a series? Sure. This is like a pilot. I'll go with this. I, or think do you think it, I don't know. You, you've you're asking the wrong guy because I already I already like the movie, so I was like I'm already with it. I I, I think if you if you were presenting these to me as Alita Battle Angel and I don't see Rodriguez or Cameron's name attached to it and it just like suddenly appeared on Netflix, I'd be like, all right, I'll give this a shot. And you know, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, you know, whatever. It's Netflix. I don't have to watch everything. But if you're telling me like this is, you know, it has these people involved and they made something like this as a pilot and that it was moving on from there to become this Netflix series, I'd be less enthused because. The, the kind of the, the work and ambition you see on display that comes from you know James Cameron world where you have impo- you know anything money to do right. and, and the kind of visual ambition that you're used that you want to see in a big screen theater as opposed to on Netflix where you know cinematic innovation isn't exactly a key part of their strategy as far as regardless of whatever else works for them yeah no I prefer to see you know more movies <laughs> I prefer to see more more of this kind of stuff I want to see on a big screen come to life. If you're, gonna be, if you're gonna be like a motorsport web series, I'll watch that. I, another question I want to ask you guys, um, not totally not later, but only because of Rodriguez and Cameron. Do you think this is more or less or same as far as successful in the same way that um, Rodriguez taking on a Cameron project that Cameron had worked on for years 
as Solaris, which Cameron had wanted to do Solaris for years. And eventually Soderbergh, he produced it, but Soderbergh was the one who directed it. Would you put it in that in that camp? Would you say, oh, it is kind of like when Soderbergh, you know, when Cameron produced the Soderbergh directed Solaris? Mike, like, what do you the, think? Oh, I'm not sure if I quite line the two up. In, in a, well, because they're both long movie. gestating projects. <laughs> Yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. But the thing is, like Soderbergh, like his fingerprints on that film are really evident in kind of the, the very arch and uh, slow moving. I mean, so obviously the original Solaris is the same, but mm-hmm. he kind of, uh, if I recall correctly, that film had this distinct, very art cinema feel to an otherwise big budget project. And so the kind of scale of it felt very Cameron, but the sort of ponderousness of it was less Cameron, right? It wasn't a sort of big and bombastic film. That's Whereas true. this one, this one is not only bombastic kind of frame one frame at a time, but it's also setting up, you know, presumably even more bombast, uh, forthcoming. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that feels like a much more sort of insulated project than this. This is, this is designed to be expansive, right? Yeah, so I, I feel like avatar is the obvious analog to this film. Um, yeah, I, I can't imagine what a, if Cameron like directed Solar like that Solaris room, I can't imagine what that would look like just because I don't more trucks more trucks. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't I don't know how it would pan out because yes I mean that Soderbergh it's like yeah that's who you get to make if you're gonna remake Solaris of all things then you're not gonna have someone with Cameron's writing ability kind of spearhead that uh, yeah and, you know. uh, I guess I the way I would put it is that particular Solaris feels like more the product of uh, uh, Steven Soderbergh's mm-hmm. approach to it and his collaborative relationship with George Clooney, whereas mm-hmm. I think Aaron intoned at the beginning, Alita feels in part like a Rodriguez project, but also very much a James Cameron project, right? Simultaneously. It looks like a it looks like a distinct collaboration as far as, you know, the, the genre and the, yeah, the, themes, you know, the pacing, yeah. what have you, like things that kind of add up for a, you know, an, an action-adventure film uh, where... I haven't seen Cameron do it, you know, a straight drop besides Titanic, but even that has, you know, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's, a an, it's yeah. an epic. I mean, that's an epic film. That's what that is. Like, so it's, that's, that's a little different, you know, a straight, like intimate drama. The closest he's come is maybe the first Terminator. Even then you're still getting, you know, this kind of low budget sci-fi, sci-fi hope, horror yeah. film. So it's like, it's, there's, there's distinct differences there. Um, I think one area that I want to give this film some credit is uh, someone mentioned, um, like, it, it, can this be compared to the world of Wakanda and the world building there and, and whether that's a bit more cultural <coughs> than this one? And I think they, they do a good job, even if it's a little bit overstuffed, even if it's a little kind of high on its own supply. But you're dealing with kind of world building that presents us a world that is multiracial and even panracial. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that racial and national ambiguity is already a major convention of the genre. That's why Blade Runner is set in L.A., but it's an L.A. that's been taken over by Asian cultures. Right. And this is why, like, William Gibson's Neuromancer opens in a Japanese city. And it's also arguably what makes it a little bit more allowable to have a degree of cultural mixing that on the surface might look like appropriation. Like Jennifer Connelly wears essentially like a bindi in the film. And Mahershala Ali, Mahershala Ali is always dressed in Mandarin jackets and everyone speaks English, even though the city is curiously devoid of Brazilian culture. Right now, Ghost in the Shell. This is the Scarlett Johansson one got in trouble for taking that a little too far and privileging a white actor in a lead role while still adopting the global but still very identifiably Asian urban landscapes as window dressing, right? This film, I think, deserves credit. I think this film does deserve credit for having a fairly diverse cast and giving the central role to a Latina actor. 
I couldn't tell you how diverse the crew is apart from Robert Rodriguez without looking into it. But if we base it on just the cast alone, which is the most critical part of the film's presentation, I think this is quite laudable. And for people who care, incidentally, kind of in keeping with cyberpunk themes in the way that I think Ghost in the Shell really dropped the ball. And that's something that I expect from Rodriguez and Cameron. I mean, they're 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 both... I don't want to say forward-thinking, but at the same time, I think they have this kind of... It's not something that concerns them as far as how to cast. It's just how they... That's how they would naturally approach these things, which I, which we've seen in all of their films. I mean, this is kind of... So it does It does beg the question, why does Christoph Waltz have an Austrian accent in this film? And, and a Japanese last name. Well, he was well, from the... the um, the, the the sky city right so yeah. we don't know what the fuck is on up there. there the thing is they've established that the world as we know it was destroyed 300 years ago and what remains of humanity relocated to brazil and that's 300 years it makes no sense that someone would retain an accent that's specific to a nation i, I don't know what goes on when, up in the city up those, there. maybe, they, maybe very, they have maybe they you know they're still whatever, factioned out there whatever yeah. machines that you know teach children in a certain way and then they speak ed out. screen has a really posh english accent <laughs> that he was educated at oxbridge or something it it makes maybe no sense maybe it's in the programming uh, he, i mean he, he chose it that way it's just the way that you can choose your google voice uh, your google exactly. maps yeah. voice <laughs> yeah. uh, i've got a question for you guys did you guys watch this in 3d or just flat 2d so peter and i were at the same screening and we saw it on in dolby in 3D and with like the D box seats, I yeah. guess. Oh wow! So you guys got a, a, a real experience here. Yeah. That, so we were. I didn't realize it was D box. So in the movie, you know, it takes its time to get to the first action sequence. So mm-hmm. when something happens, like, oh, this is the movie we're in. Right yeah. now. <laughs> how, how was that experience? And what did the visuals look like? Was it worth the 3D? Oh, I think it looks great. Like, yeah, it looks I, great. I, I would say it's maybe the. You know, I have like shining examples of 3D, like Hugo, Hugo. and Avatar. Yeah. But like, I I would say, yeah, I mean, it's shot in 3D because it's Cameron, and he's not a fool. He's gonna, he's got anything that he's producing is going to be native 3D. I would say I'm at a point where it's so I can't remember the last time I saw. Th- Actually, wait, did I see Dragon in 3D? Ghost oh. in the Shell was 3D too. Yeah, okay, that was 3D. So I'm trying to think of was Warcraft 3D? No, I don't think that was. Regardless, I mean, I, I think the the action sequences they kind of lend themselves to it. I mean, there's sure. shot like there's that key shot of Alita going through like all the tentacles and like her fist is flying through the oh, air. Right, it's yeah. like, there's shots like that where it's not that they're designed to be coming at you in like a cheesy kind of way, but there's certainly like an emphasis on hey, we can really play this up. So mm-hmm. like those that they, they, it works for what it's doing. I wouldn't say it's you know required to see in 3D. I think the visuals themselves are enough to warrant a big screen experience. Right. I have a question for you guys. Hit it. Do you think Christoph Waltz agreed to be in this because he thought it was a sequel to Big Eyes? <laughs> I do. I do. He was like, you know what? This is what When the are we going does. to start painting? Yeah, yeah. He's like he went into hiding, he found a cryo chamber, and three hundred years later he's he's back and he's just he's really glad that Amy Adams isn't there. I will say that even more than Alita, Christoph Waltz's character might be the most comic booky of the characters in this film because he, he has the have, way he dresses at night. He he has the way he dresses. He has a <laughs> he has a big accent and he carries a giant hammer around <laughs> like it's it's oh, the he most. Does. That's right. I mean it's it's the most comic booky thing that happens yeah. in this movie outside of you know the David versus Goliath kind of monster fights that go on in here. But, I mean, uh... yeah, but Christoph Waltz. I mean, he's he's such a ham sandwich in so many uh, roles. I'm, <laughs> I'm actually I'm actually pretty convinced that he isn't really a good actor at all. And there's only one director thus far who's been able to make excellent use of his natural hamminess and flamboyance, and that's obviously Tarantino. Oh, I thought it was gonna be McG. My my 
my counter my counter to Christoph Waltz's thing is that have you seen him in any movies that really deserve like a grounded dramatic performance outside of like Tarantino's stuff because he's mostly been cast in genre things. Well, I I mean I guess Big Eyes is probably not. the closest, but I mean the, everything else is what uh, three the Three Musketeers, Green yeah, Hornet, yeah. Legend of Tarzan, a James Bond movie. It's like it's not like they've been requiring him to give this like Shakespearean level acting performance. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, they it's just like keep... we need we need a guy with a big accent to act funny. Like that's well, he's like... he's either doing shtick that's just really grinding down on me, or he's toning it down so much, like in this film, that I feel like there isn't much that's interesting or memorable that he's bringing to the performance. I think he's a really good match with Tarantino's already stylized dialogue that mm-hmm. complements Waltz's natural weirdness really well. But in films like this, I feel like he's like strangely underused. And so they, they'll dress him up and give him a big battle hammer, but it's not quite as campy as you'd come to expect from uh, from a Christoph Waltz. Uh, I was just remembering that uh, I, I don't dis... I do, I do think he's quite good here compared to some of his other, like, big budget weird roles mainly because i like him more as a kind of paternal figure than an out and out villain unless he's designed really well like in inglorious bastards um but i did remember uh downsizing a movie that's not that great but i think he and udo kier are great in that movie i think uh-huh. they have they're they're like really Wait, good udo, in what they're... udo kier's good in it yes <laughs> <They're>, they <laughs> yeah he's, like, he's pretty good they're like best friends in that movie and it's kind of hilarious like i really like that they're like part in that film <laughs> a lot so yeah, there. But that, that's what I got for that. As far as Christoph Waltz, <laughs> good to know. Any other thoughts on Alita: Battle Angel before we kind of move on? I think we've covered a lot of it here. Anything yeah, to say about the the actor reveal at the end? I, I like that they gave was him James not Cameron expecting hair. Expecting it, but then he looks like a again. He looks like a, a video game character. They, yeah, they gave him they gave him James Cameron's hair, which made me laugh. I was like, oh okay. <laughs> I, I think it's so, so obviously the, the the development of this is going to be saved for a sequel but the actor who, who it constitutes a big reveal at the end i thought looked positively goofy and he looks really out of place to me and this revelation did not get me excited for bubble angle part two <laughs> <laughs> uh, good old bubble, bubble angle part two well much like thanos they have like four years to get the final design right right so there you go <laughs> 20, right. 26th century fox that was kind of cute that was, i did that was, like that uh, I, I thought that. that was clever <laughs> that was funny all right when should people go and see alita battle angel peter uh i think that if you have if you have any interest you should go go soon and see it on the biggest screen possible i mean like it, yes it's a little more expensive but i mean the value of this really is the spectacle so that's what i would say all right mike yeah i'd say the same especially if you're kind of predisposed to the genre already then it's not it's not the best entry but it doesn't disappoint in some it, it doesn't disappoint in enough ways to make it warrant uh, a trip to the theater i think yeah see it big Abe? i think there's a lot of visualization here that you can definitely appreciate in the theater i don't think you have to run out and see it right away so i'd probably say dollar theater i was um happy to be impressed where i was looking forward to this film even though there was a lot of naysaying about it but at the same time i was like well it is it does involve rodriguez and cameron especially particularly cameron doesn't tend to disappoint me and so i was happy to be like oh this actually works well enough where i'd want to see something like this on a big screen so i would say go see it on a big screen i think it, i think the visuals and action kind of speak up for it okay all right well that was our review of elite battle angel let's move on now let's get to Abe. what uh what time is it it's a quick time for games Ah, uh, that was beautiful. Worth it. 
Yeah, little known fact, that's actually the, the sound that plays if you were to tap uh, Jennifer Conley's gem on her forehead. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I have a game for you guys. Hit it's it. called What's the Score? Uh, this is a game where I'm going to name soundtrack or score tracks off of the soundtracks of various Robert Rodriguez and Car- James Cameron films, and you have to identify what film I'm referring to. Oh, my God. Got it. Uh, these range from I have like four, three or four tracks for each film that I'm going to name. They, they they start off like more obscure and then kind of make it easier. So okay. if you think you know the answer, yell out your name first and then the answer. Okay. All right. Here's the first one. If you think you know it, just yell out your name. <laughs> okay. Bar fight. Abe. Roof. Yeah. From dust till dawn. Incorrect. Oof. Mike. Rooftop action. Yeah. Terminator two. Incorrect. Ooh. Buchos gracias. Oh, Mariachi Mike. Sweet. Mike. You've answered already. Peter, do you uh, have an answer? Peter Desperado? Desperado is the correct answer. Yes! Got it. Okay. Next one. Bury the Hatchet. Cardinal Sin. Abe. Yeah? Sin City? Sin City is the correct answer. There you go. Next was Prison Cell and then Goldie's Dead. <laughs> okay. Fun fact, Pass the Hatchet is the name of a song on the Desperado soundtrack, but it's also the name of a track on the Sin City score. So I thought that was fun. <laughs> um, here's the next one. Scorched Earth, War, Escape from Hellgate, Jake's First Flight, The Jake? Destruction of Home Tree. Mike. Mike? That's got to be Avatar, right? Avatar is oh. the correct answer. Oh, Jake. yeah. Jake. Here's the next one. Helpless, the kids aren't all right. School's out. Abe. Abe. Oh shoot. Um, the one with uh, Josh Hartnett. Nailed yeah. it. I, I, uh, what's that called again? Uh, it's got it, It's uh. It's another word for something. Uh. <laughs> hold on. Uh. <laughs> You're Jake, out, Peter. Abe, Abe, you're not working with all your faculties here. Ah! Yeah, let's say Peter, yeah, faculty. But yeah, the, or the okay. faculty. Peter, I knew you had it, so I'm giving you the point. That's yeah. fine. Okay. Good, good, yeah, damn it. Here's the next one. Tunnel chase. Love scene. Peter. Peter? Uh, the Terminator. The Terminator is the correct answer. Hmm, next was Future Remembered and Factory Chase. Huh. I've seen Terminator enough where I know how those themes go, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's pretty simple, like Brad Fidel's score. They're pretty like straight because it's all straightforward synth, but it's still fun. <laughs> next, next one, the safe house, the third brain, Cortez family, Oye Como Spy. Uh, Abe. Abe. What's my time in Mexico? Incorrect. Wait, what? Peter. Peter. I mean, is it Spy Kids One? Spy Kids. Yes, it's Spy Kids. Uh, yeah, I, was, I, I was like, it could be a lot of these. So yeah. I was worried Abe was going to get try to get cute and say Spy Kids 2 so I could just tell him he's directly wrong. But he, didn't. <laughs> he just chose the wrong answer completely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just the wrong answer. Here's the next one. Bad Dreams, Futile Escape, Combat Drop, The Queen. Oh, Peter. Peter? Oh, oh Aliens. Aliens <clears throat> is the correct answer. <laughs> Here's the next one. Texas Funeral, Mary Had a Little Lamb, Kill the Band. Mike. Mike? That's uh, from Dust Till Dawn. That is from Dust Till Dawn. Oh. 
Next was a Mexican standoff, and then After Dark. Those uh, those also could work for Kill Bill Volume Two. Yeah, but that's not a Cameron or Rodriguez. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Next one we have here is Distant Memories, A Life So Changed, A Promise Kept. Mike. Mike. Florence Foster Jenkins. <laughs> <laughs> Did I get not it? Quite, not quite there, no. Peter? Yeah? What, Solaris? In that, nope. Damn it. The last one is The Sinking. Oh, Peter! You guessed. The Abyss. You're out. Uh, oh, I guess! Abe? It's Titanic? It's Titanic. Yes. Oh, Sinking! Oh <laughs> my you. god, yes. Thank you, Peter. Sorry. <laughs> here's, the next, here's the next one. Two more. Fury Road. The Sickos, Useless Talents number 32, El Rey, Cherry's Dance of Death. Mike. Mike? Is that, uh, what's the, the grindhouse? So, Planet yes. Terror? Planet Terror is correct, yeah. yes. Damn it, yes. Good one. And here's the last one. Alone in the Dark. Abe. Yeah? I, I don't know. I just wanted to guess uh, before you, I just wanted to pre-guess, but I don't have anything. Great job. Caught in the Act, Island Sweet, Nuclear Kiss, Nuclear. Harry Saves the Day. Peter. Peter. That the Abyss? No. <laughs> Harry? Well, yeah, Harry, I didn't know because I was like, is the character's name Harry? Like, uh... I feel like Nuclear Kiss should have given it away, but Harry is Saves the Day. Oh! Oh! Do I get to go or no? Go Mike, what you? I heard is Mike. It, is it True Lies? Yes, it's True Lies. Oh. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The nuclear. Yeah. I mean, my mind went I, to Harry and the Hendersons. I thought Harry Saves the Day would be like you know, it's a character name. But yeah. <laughs> Crimson right, Jihad would have been a better uh, hint, I think. <laughs> what's um, what's uh, what's his line in that one? Is it you're fired? You're fired. You're fired. Yeah. You're fired. But, like I never worked for you. <laughs> Hey, that's not how it goes. He's got to have those cool lines. <laughs> uh, well, Abe, you came in last. Uh, that's a bummer because that's not what I thought I came in. No, well, you're dead last. It's just it's the worst. Uh, Mike, you came in. Well, let me see. Actually, hold on. Uh oh. Because I oh this one skipped the line. You're gonna have to uh, do a recall or a recount. A total recall. <laughs> not quite, but yeah, no. You and Peter have tied, so it looks like we have a bonus yeah, round here. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. So here's my first question: uh, What is the what is the highest grossing Robert Rodriguez film domestically? Uh, Peter. Peter. I mean, well, do I have to know the number or just the movie? Do you really think you, I want you to know the number? No. <laughs> no. Uh, what I do mean, you think? I uh, it's got to be Sin City. Sin City. Mike, what do you think it is? I was gonna go with Spy Kids. It is Spy Kids. Damn it! Oh. It is Spy Kids with 112 million, Spy Kids 3D with 111, and then Spy Kids 2 with 85. Good job, Mike. What was Sin City? Sin City's like 75 or something like that. Ugh. Oh, uh, Worldwide, Spy Kids 3D is 197, Sin City is 158, then Spy Kids with 147. I mean, Robert Rodriguez should be making more kids' movies then. I mean, he makes his films cheap, but yeah, they don't make, like, they don't break the bank either. So it's, you know, it's. Yeah. But yeah, Mike, you, so now, Mike, you are the winner of this week's games. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. What do I get? Uh, a pat on the back. Yeah. <laughs> you get to brag to your students that you won who's, what's the score on Out Now, Verdon. They will not be impressed. 
All right. Well, with that out of the way, let's get to our feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. This is where we go over the various questions and answers on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, where we asked a number of questions to the listeners, and they gave us answers, but then they gave us questions that we can provide answers to. With that said, before we get to the queen, the main questions, we had our poll question of the week. This is where we put two movies against each other in a high-stakes poll where voting for one saves that film, but the other is doomed to be erased from existence entirely. And this week, I had a robot edition going on here with iRobot versus Real Steel. So before we get to what the listeners chose... Where would you guys land between iRobot and Real Steel? Mm, that's a tough one because uh, I kind of like both movies. They kind of do different things. Um, but uh, I don't know. It's a tough one. Choose. I would choose to save. I would choose to save Real Steel. And, and uh, the reason why is because at this point, Will Smith has already had a lot of hits. And iRobot doesn't really do anything for either Will, Will Smith or Shia LaBeouf post the movie and it also doesn't really do anything for the genre after the movie i think it got some like, some decent praise by then but uh, then again you could argue the same thing for for uh, real steel as well because I, I would argue real steel has been kind of forgotten compared to yeah Robots. but it's it looks beautiful and, that, and that's something that like wins me over on it and it's got and real steel has a good performance from evangeline lily and J- yeah i mean like yeah, yeah real steel yeah, also, iRobot, for me, has the added sting of being a really mediocre film following the phenomenal promise of Dark City for the director, Alex Proyas. Yeah. Technically, there was Garage Days. There was Garage Days, but uh, that's one no one knows about. So, Well, we know about it. We do. <laughs> I'm talking about the civilians. There you go. I, I mean, I choose iRobot, honestly, because I do think that's one of Will Smith's best acting performances. Like, I, I the movie overall, I think, is fine. And the say I give it the same rating as I give Real Steel. Mm-hmm. But I do think Will Smith's performance is like, oh, there's it's not just him, like, you know, kind of quipping his way through a blockbuster. I do think there's some kind of dramatic depth he's going for as far as being, like, prejudiced against robots, yet having, like, a cybernetic arm. Like, there's some... There's some layers that I appreciated in that movie. Yeah. I think I think you're just trying to score a free pair of Converse circa 2004. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> Although I am a Vans man, so I, I, I feel like the audience has gone with your choice as well. Well, I was very curious because it was a high, it was a high one of our higher voted in polls, and yeah, it appears 54% for iRobot versus 46% Real Steel. It's so a I tight think, one. You know, it's a tight race here. Yeah. But, uh, you know, overall, you, know, you gotta get. Well, involved. now I don't know of any movie in which uh, you know Logan plays a, a loving father. Well, he, he does in Logan. That's true, but you know he's he's kind of mean to, to both an elderly man and a child. and and a young child. <laughs> uh, too soon. I mean, and also you know, prisoners. He's not exactly a not loving father. He's taken Paul Dano <laughs> he's, to task. He's arguably a little too loving in that. He, he's, a little, yeah, he's, a, he's a vigilante in that one. <laughs> Great uh, cinematography yeah. in Prisoners. The Deacons. Yep. He shot that tree. Yeah, I know. That's like the, the <laughs> shot that we go back to, the tree in the door. It's that shot of that tree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the first question we asked everybody, what is your favorite Robert Rodriguez film? Christopher writes Colorado. <laughs> Maxwell writes Sin City. Uh, Renee writes Sin City. Mike has also Sin City. Justin has From Dustle Dawn and Four Rooms. Chris writes From Dustle Dawn and Planet Terror. And lastly, Todd has Sin City. Favorite Riga's, Robert Riga's film, guys? From Dust Till Dawn. It's a fun From Dust Till Dawn. It's 100%. Yeah. 100%. Uh, Planet Tear when packaged with the entire Grindhouse thing. I really love the Grindhouse experience. Got it. 
Um, but yeah, Dust Till Dawn. I mean, those other ones are good too. So yeah. I mean, Dust Till Dawn was Grindhouse before he made Grindhouse. It's like they already did. They already did this. <laughs> no, I, I really, I really liked playing. No, I like, I, I, I'm a big fan yeah. of. Grind, I mean, I have a giant Grindhouse poster in my room. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not against Grindhouse. I just think when when they said it's like we're gonna make a huge like exploitation, it's like you guys did that together. (laughs) (laughs) You made like a crazy B movie with a bunch of actors, but yeah, okay, do it again. Sure. Yeah. The other thing is the reason why Grindhouse and Machete don't arguably fit in the same category is because those are actually sort of decent budgeted films that are designed to look lowbrow. And so when you're, you, you know, when you're using your resources to make something look grimy instead of producing within the limited resources you have, that's, that's kind of a different category, I think. And from Dust Till Dawn was like, it was involved in this, like, there's a whole documentary, Full Tilt Boogie, that, like, goes into the production process of From Dust Till Dawn and, like, like labor strikes that were going on at the same time as that movie and everything. Like, it was really a, yeah. it was a scrappy little, uh, but I don't like describing what it's about, by the way. I don't like saying what kind of movie it is, because it's way more fun for people to discover it, for the it's, first time. It's pretty fun. I remember, like, we watched, we rented it, like, on a Friday night at Hollywood Video or whatever, and uh, I was like, okay, well, this is, like, a, a, a chase movie, because these guys are bank robbers. Mm-hmm. And then it gets into like the review, and I was like, "This is fucking crazy." <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, like even people that are listening to this now that haven't seen it but just have heard about it. It's like, I would recommend you not looking into what that movie is about. <laughs> like, it's just like a better. Yeah, it's better a great watch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next question: There is often a creator or parent figure for a robot cyborg type characters. Who's your favorite creator character in this regard? Scott has William Hurt in AI. Justin has the inventor in Edward Scissorhands, which is Vincent Price. John has Geppetto uh, from Pinocchio. Christopher has Baymax, uh, or sorry, uh, Tadashi and Baymax with uh, Big Hero 6. And Chris has uh, uh, Nathan and Ava from uh, Ex Machina. Yeah, that's a dark one. My answer is pretty simple. It's uh, Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> that didn't come up for some reason, and that just seems obvious <laughs> to me. Uh, my answer is the architect from The Matrix. I mean, that guy seems like he's a loving guy. <laughs> Well, he is the father. And, He's created you know, seven versions of, of Neo. He, he is the father, and the Oracle is the mother. There you go. Yeah, metaphors. I mean, they say that it, it, in the, the, movie. the Matrix likes explaining itself, but, you know, there it is. I'm going with Julia Binoche in uh, Ghost in the Shell. No, I'm kidding. Uh, there you go. <laughs> uh, um, I, and actually, you know what? I'm going to go with the William Hurt. I do really like AI. Underrated okay. to me. So I'm going with William Hurt. I'm going to go with Miguel Ferrer from RoboCop. Oh, there you go. You're going to be a bad uh, motherfucker. Uh, There's nothing loving about it, but I think uh, one of the real... I mean, he says he fucking loves him. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, you know, the thing that people fail to point out far too often about how amazing that film is is how great the supporting actors are. Right? Oh, yeah, the I don't. Oh, yeah, it, it the corporate great, guys. Yeah, it's it's just yeah. It's a perfect yeah. film. So, shout out. Ronnie Cox four. and, uh, and uh, uh, Kurt, Kurt, Kurt Smith. Smith. Yeah. yeah. All right. That guy's a great police captain, by the way, uh, Kurt Woodsman. Uh, in any case, or no, no, wait, that's uh, that's red. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> next question: Who are some of the best dressed movie villains? Great question. Rachel has Miranda from The Devil Wears Prada. Chris has Eliza Price. Uh, Christopher has Magneto, Top Dollar, G-Man, Gideon in Scott Pilgrim's World, uh, Deacon Frost, Victor Sweet, and Ronan the Accuser. Scott has Aiden Gillian in Shanghai Nights. <laughs> Uh, Mike has Agents from the Matrix, Michael has the Joker, Justin has Zorg, and Hans Gruber, and Darth Vader. I mean, Gruber is rocking some Brooks Brothers, so he's got that going for him. And he's a gentleman. He's like, fine, let her use the bathroom, she's pregnant. Wait, Zorg? The toy? Zerg? 
What's or which one's Zorg? Oh, Zorg's Gary Oldman. Yeah, Zerg Zerg is from Toy Zerg's, Story. Zerg's, Zerg's from Toy yeah, Story. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I was like, the toy? No. <laughs> yeah, okay, Zorg. Yeah, okay. From from Gary Oldman with like his wacky wigs and whatever the hell. Like the yeah. bald thing with the hair. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, about that. There you go. Anything from you guys? Best dressed movie villains? Gorilla DeVille. There you go. There you go. I mean, if, actually, I mean, I'm gonna go old school. I'll go Darth Vader. I, I really love. Uh, I mean, yeah, he certainly rocking that cape. Yeah, he is rocking that cape. Yeah, so I'll go Vader. Yeah, I'm drawing a blank. I think I was coming up with stuff, and as soon as I would come up with it, you would mention it in, in your list there. So uh, I got... the Predator, dreadlocks. <clears throat> that's not a dress choice, though. That's not a cost. <laughs> that's not costume design. Fishnets. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, next question yeah. we have. Yeah, what, Mike? Oh, if you no, think nothing. of something, you shout it out. In the I was just going to shout out, like, Gina Gershon from Showgirls or something. There you go. Next question we have here is, what are your favorite horror movie masks or costumes? Cynthia has Your Next. Justin has Scream or Friday the 13th. Renee has Michael Myers' iconic white mask. And Mike has Freddy and Jason. I grew up in the 80s. New films, I say Terrorizer. <laughs> Michael, My- Michael Myers in the actual first film... Because a lot of those sequels, that mask is terrible. But the, the first one, yeah, that's a pretty great mask. Something we talked about last October. Uh, we've talked about it plenty on this podcast with the <laughs> <Yeah>. masks. <laughs> between the different commentary tracks and every Halloween special. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'd go with that. I mean, sure. Yeah. I, yeah, love a, I, I love a good tearing someone's face off and wearing it as a mask. There you go. Yeah. So, like, like a like leather face or, uh, or um, uh, Hannibal Lecter style. Hannibal, Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, or even style. like eyes without a face, you know. Eyes without a face. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's a, that's a serious kind of mask, right? Well, I was going to say, or or tonight's Whisperers on The Walking Dead, Samantha Morton. Mm-hmm. Samantha uh, Morton's on The Walking Dead? Yeah. Yeah, she's the, she's she's the alpha. She's the main villain. She's, the new, she's a new villain, yeah. yeah. There you go. Like so, supposedly tonight's episode is all about that. So I can't wait. So. Sounds good. <laughs> I would throw in um, Terror Train because there's multiple masks. Mm. I'd also throw in uh, the mask. Uh, in any case, <laughs> just not a, not a horror movie costume, I... but sure, the mask. <laughs> I'm surprised. Right. I'm surprised no one, n- none of your listeners mentioned the pig mask from the Saw movies. Nobody did mention that, but well, see, uh, but I think of the Saw movie though. I think of the doll. That's what I think of as yeah, the that's, yeah, that's But I mean, I, I feel like Saw fans are well aware that there is a pig mask costume oh, sure, that's sure, synonymous absolutely. with the Jigsaw character. Yes, yes. The iconography goes towards Tobin Bell's, you know, creepy white face and the clown thing that is around as well. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. deny that. But I mean, yeah. dude's sneaking, or dude or dude's, you know, followers are sneaking around with the pig mask on for whatever never reason. fun yeah what do we that, count um, in insidious is that more just makeup the darth maul looking guy is that like yeah, that's, not a, that's, not a, that's, that's not a costume. skin yeah that's just that's the that's demon skin. Like, yeah that, that's oh, just like him by the way best it's not dressed... like he woke up and it's like let me get this on again <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> by the way by the way one of the best dressed movie villains baba duke yeah, it's oh, polite, that, but also means business at the same time. Exactly, yeah. He's having fun and he's doing business. <laughs> he likes so, to play dress-up. Speaking of masks, if if you have listeners who are horror fans and they haven't seen this movie, they should watch uh, a faux documentary called Behind the Mask, Behind the, the Rise mask. of Leslie Vernon. Uh-huh. No, that's it, a good one for sure. That's and that's a good really... mask, too. I've heard of this, yeah. You know, it's a great mask. I'm not even a huge fan of the movie. Uh, Nightbreed, the one that Cronenberg uh, wears. Oh, my God. That, oh, I yeah. Mean, that... 
That's a, it's a really good ma- like it's a, it's a creepy mask. Yeah, it's like, like it'd be a creepy one. Yeah, <laughs> it's Cronenberg. <laughs> well, he's he's in it. Like, he's he in stars it. in the movie. Like, so yeah. it's, as like, and it's not even like it's not even like a slasher movie, but he has he plays like a slashery type. Ca- like it's a weird it's a weird movie. <laughs> but, like Dang. he does have this crazy mask. Where it's, is it like a zipper lip? Is that what's going on with that too? Like it's something like that. Yeah, it's it's, it's that's a good pull. It's a creepy mask for sure. Like that's that's. I'm not gonna look this one up. No. <laughs> okay. You've described you describe things that I, I don't want to see. Okay. What's the next question? <laughs> the next question is: What are some sequels to movies that you enjoy that took com- a completely different direction, such as adding more comedy or adding more drama or adding you know sillier things? Uh, Renee has Aliens went from claustrophobic horror uh, with uh, Alien in sci-fi uh, and then sci-fi action in the sequel. So. Well, yeah, that's definitely, to me, that is the, I mean, that's the perfect, yeah. <laughs> Alien perfect and Alien. Perfect like, yeah, yeah Cluster was into, like, sci-fi action. Movies yeah. in the same franchise that are Yeah, I mean, I don't genres. know how you top that. I mean, yeah. like, that's pretty, Well, I think well, Todd We're going to see in a second here. Yeah, Todd has Gremlins 2. Where oh, yeah, Gremlins from 2. From killing people to watching movies in, the, or watching movies in the theater. Uh, Justin has, I didn't exactly like Beverly Hills Cop 3, maybe Jaws 2. And Jaws, uh, Jaws 3, only because I was in love with Leah Thompson back then. Teller has Evil Dead 2. That's a great poll. Uh, Christopher has Army of Darkness, Thor Ragnarok, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army. And lastly, Jeffrey has also might open a can of worms here, but I'd say Last Jedi. In many ways, it's a typical Star Wars film and honors the series and its legacy. Still, in other ways, it adds a deconstructive element previously unseen in the series, sure. as well as a moral ambiguity and complexity. Thematically, it's also much heavier than any entry yet. I'd argue it's the first film in the series that really is more for adults than for kids. And lastly, Gremlins 2. It felt like it deserved all caps. Jeffrey, that was super thoughtful and super insightful, and it seems like uh, Peter agrees with you super heavily there. Oh, yeah, I love Less Than I. But, yeah. Um, and I was going to say Evil Dead also, so, yeah, good good pick. Yeah, there you go. Uh, uh, did you get any others? I'm actually a really big, this may be a bit obscure, but I'm a huge fan of a B-zombie film called Re- the, the Return of the Living Dead series. Uh-huh. It's pretty well known. Uh, yeah. but, but part three in particular, I'm a huge fan of. And it's a, the, the big departure is that it takes its themes a little more seriously and it's presented as a pretty straightforward, tragic romance slash horror film. Whereas the earlier two films are, like they take these, yeah, they're very campy and they take these deep dives into like slapstick comedy. So the third one is the first one in the series to take its subject matter like really seriously. And I, it, it was one of these movies that I discovered like as a early teenager and I just kind of fell in love with it. Hmm. You know, I've never seen the third one. I love uh, Return of the Living. See, well, now, now, now I got to see it. Like That's I really great. love it. Yeah. Part three is a step up from part two. Part, yeah, yeah, part two is, is really great. expendable. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not a huge fan of the Return of the Living Dead series for whatever reason. I just I want to like it more than I do. But yeah, part three is certainly better than part two is. <laughs> um, I guess I mean the same thing kind of applies to Alien as does to Terminator. Where Terminator is you know it's like a horror sci-fi movie, and Terminator Two so, is an action sci-fi. Yeah, so I thought movie. about that, but I was like, I feel like they're kind of the same just because the sci-fi. I mean, they're both they're like genre. they're ultimately they're big chase movies. Yeah. but I, I think you could you there's but I know what you there's, mean. There, there's a horror element in Terminator that's not in Terminator Two. I would say like yeah, yeah. oh yeah, like Terminator, Terminator, Terminator is a it's a slasher movie with a robot like that's right like, right. The yeah, first and, movie. and then Terminator Two is like just like some amazing action movie yeah, yeah. right when I, I mean, this, this, this I, I, yeah go Peter what? well no when I rewatched Terminator like the first time on Blu-ray it really occurred to me because it came out in like 84 right 
yeah. that I was like, yeah, this is really influenced by like Halloween and like that like era and everything. So absolutely, I agree. And I, I guess I mean like the first two screen movies are like horror comedies, where like the second two screen movies are giant piles of crap. So I guess that's a good oh. point, right? is, that, <laughs> is that is that a good enough example? Yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, you can say the same thing for the scary movies. Yeah, the, well, I think that goes down. Like, that goes... are actually kind of like, you know, genre satire. I, I the think others the... are just like, these are terrible. Well, the first one is like fine, and it, but even though it does still have a lot of like, this is popular this week, let's throw that in there. Yeah. Uh, where the second one, I think the, the Exorcist stuff at the beginning is like, that's funny, and then it's like, now it's all terrible. <laughs> yeah, it gets Honestly, I wish you guys would do a... You know how you just we just the thing about like if you you pick a movie one is erased from existence. If uh-huh. we could if we could erase the entire I don't know is it spoof or satire genre from existence that I would be fine with that. Well, I I happily erase the bad ones. <laughs> but then, <laughs> but then you can never watch and they came together. The airplane. There's not a lot of. Good. A lot of them are pretty bad. This like, is a different topic that's going to take us down a rabbit hole. Right. There's a lot of good. There's a lot of good, a lot examples, of good examples out there. Of it's, just, it's a it's a genre that's been very much spilt into poorly. Um, our next question: favorite films featuring wrestling or MMA? Uh, Justin has Lionheart. Back in the day, Bloodsport. Hmm. Jeffrey has Ready to Rumble. Renee has Yes, definitely Warrior. And if documentaries count, I really like the Andre the Giant biopic. Rachel has Warrior for sure. Christopher has Undisputed 2. Okay, not Undisputed. And, um, <laughs> Warrior, The Quest, Kickboxer, Lionheart, No Holds Bar, Ong um, Bak, Jet Li's Fearless, and Unleashed, or Danny the Dog. Scott Mendelson, friend of the show, has Unleashed and Warrior. And Steven has Vision Quest and Warrior. Nice. I like Unleashed quite a bit. I think that's a strong, one of the stronger, like, Luc Besson uh, I think it's Louis Leterrier uh, collaborations. Who's the handler uh, in that? Is it Morgan Freeman? Bob Hoskins. Isn't the late Bob Hoskins in that too? Bob, Bob Hoskins is like the bad guy slash handler in that movie. Yeah, and he's like the movie's called Danny the Dog, and Bob Hoskins is like a ferocious dog in that movie, like he, as much as Jet Li is, and he's doing the fighting. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Shout out to Warrior for sure. I mean, that that's a very good movie. People keep, you know, like the Wolverine thing's been happening as far as like people want to recast Wolverine now because it's going to happen eventually. And I'm thinking, get Bob Hoskins in a hologram. Like, he'd be great. He's he's short and hairy and he's very ferocious. Uh, I'd love to see him as Wolverine. Sure. I mean, he was all CG and who framed Roger Rabbit, right? Yeah, but yeah, that's a little known fact. All the animated characters <laughs> are actually live action with makeup on and only Bob Hoskins was animated. Yeah, Christopher Lloyd could really bug his eyes out. Yeah, that's a class. Yeah, they had to edit that out of Back to the Future because it was just, it was too much. <laughs> His performance was already going a little big, so then they dialed that down. Well, do you guys have any examples of good uh, wrestling or MMA movies that you guys... He did, he did that. That was the, in the first season of Taxi. They cut most of his they character off and kept doing character. it. That, and then he only became a recurring character in season two when he stopped doing uh, the bug uh, in the eyes. Great <laughs> Scott. Can I, uh, I say say anything? Doesn't he want to be an MMA guy? He wants to be like a professional yeah. kickboxer. Yeah. Oh, kickboxer, that's, that's what it is. That's his Sorry. goal. Yeah. Well, because John Cusack is an accomplished kickboxer. Is real he life. really? Yeah, he is. Wait, what? What? Yeah, he's in a he's, he studied kickboxing. Oh, that's is that why, why like, he's in, not friends with Jeremy Piven anymore. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> uh, that's why, like in Gross Point Blank, he's doing kickboxing with his actual trainer in that film. Oh, interesting. Uh, well, get on you, John Cusack. Yeah, uh, he's, he's well, I mean, Warrior, Warrior is so good. But, yeah, it's a really good movie for sure. I, yeah. I don't know if this is a cheat, but since we mentioned Steven, Steven Soderbergh earlier, the his movie Haywire, which starts yeah. uh, an MMA. Uh, Gina Carano. Gina Carano, there you go. 
that's a pretty solid genre I mean, film, I think. I mean, just using solid. mixed martial arts in them. That movie's such a fun watch, by the way. Like, I revisited that, like, a little... Like, I think before Logan Lucky came out, where I'm like, I want to watch some Soderbergh. And it's like, that movie, it's like it's like 90 minutes, and it has a huge cast, and it's just like... it's Uncle so quick and, in it. Fastbenders, like, it's a bunch of people in it. And it's just so much fun. It's such a it's such a, it's such a fun little movie. Yeah. Like I, if there was like a whole series of haywires with just crazy casts in it like that, like in the same way he did like his oceans movies, I'd be all into it for like eighty minutes of just like big stars getting their ass kicked. It's like it's just a, it's a fun movie. Well, now we move to the questions that the listeners asked us. Uh, Justin today, uh, Justin asked the panel today. Okay, so I watch a lot of movies, more older ones than new ones because I love practical effects. But have you ever watched a movie and thought, wow, that's a huge mess? I would hate to have to clean that, you know, like in scanners or, or the explosions in ID4. Uh, yes, I have watched movies where I thought about that, and uh, it immediately goes to The Thing. It's like, I would hate to have to clean up that dog sequence, you know? It's like, <laughs> yeah. It just seems like the, the guy who was the, the janitorial services on duty that day were just like, how many more takes are we going to do about this? Oh, my answer would be dead alive. Dead alive, Jackson, absolutely. Brain, brain dead, yeah. They. The, a lot of it. At, at at that time, holding that record, for, like claiming itself to be the goriest movie of all time, there's a whole sequence where like the entire like living room of the house is just covered in everything. Note to self: Do not look up Dead Alive. Yeah, Dead Alive. Wait, it's a romantic comedy with zombies. Before oh, okay, yeah, no, I'll definitely watch it. It's just like it is. Uh... <laughs> it's, it's about a boy who loves his mother but also falls in love with another girl, and he has to kind of deal with that. Also, at the same time, there's zombies. <laughs> okay. I'm going to go with the um, Barfarama from Stand By Me. Oh, man. How many takes <laughs> did they have to do for that? <laughs> well, that was uh, feedback, feedback, feedback. Yeah, that was feedback. Let's move on now. Let's uh, start wrapping things up here with what's coming out. Uh, with Out Now, presents what's out now. These are things that are coming out on Blu-ray, DVD, 4K, streaming, and all that. Uh, first up, coming out on Blu-ray and all that this week, we have A Star is Born. Fantastic. I, I think it was good, not great. You Don't know what? I, I got to say, I thought it was I thought the first, I think Aaron and I both thought the first hour is like an A. And then the second half, I was like, eh, I don't know. But I will say this, I rewatched the 4K and I, it's not that, this happens to me sometimes. It's not that I think that the second half, it's not that it's better the second time. It's more that I sometimes notice when I rewatch movies, sometimes the things I really like about a movie, like that really stays with me. And the stuff that I didn't like, it it's like I can let it go. Sure. Of course, sometimes yeah. the reverse happens. Sometimes I'm like, I can't let this go, and it's worse. But I would say, no, I really, it's like a B plus. Like I, and I gotta say, man, Bradley Cooper's really good. Like, yeah. I think he's terrific. So I, I, I would pick him of the lineup that's nominated for Oscars right now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like, yeah. He does. He doesn't have bad teeth and horrible script around him to have to deal with. But you know, that's me. <laughs> what? Is that a dig at Corone? <laughs> no. What? <laughs> you think Alfonso Cuaron has bad teeth, let alone acts in movies? I have no idea what that was a reference to. <laughs> I'm talking about the person that acts in movies and has to wear fake teeth for the. Duration. Oh, got it. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, Robin Hood comes out this week, reminding you that Robin Hood exists. Wait, Robin? <laughs> Robin Hood? Jamie Fox. The being Taron Egerton. <laughs> oh God! Remember, it was one of your most anticipated <laughs> yeah, movies I of totally, last year. I totally forgot that that movie was made. <laughs> yes. Well, it's out now, Abe. You could you could revisit it. I, I think I might just to do a commentary on it. Um, Overlord comes out this week. I was a big fan of Overlord. That was fun. Yeah, that was, I thought that was... it was a ton of fun. I was yeah, really I into it. Uh, let's see, Doctor Who Resolution. Uh, sure. Yeah, go go check it out. They're like on 
many, many seasons. A lot of fans. And uh, Damages, the complete series, speaking of Glenn Close. Glenn Close, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, that's out. Uh, also, specialty stuff: uh, Death in Venice and La Verite. That's on Criterion Collection this week. Okay. Um, Year of the Dragon with Mickey Rourke is on WB Archive <laughs> of this week. Uh, let's see: The Return of the Vampire is on Shout. Uh, yeah, like Peter Cushing's in that. Or no, sorry, Bella Lugosi is in that. Uh, let's Mad Dog and Glory is on Kino this week. Mm. It's uh, De Niro and Bill Murray. Um, and uh, Talk Radio. With uh, I love Eric, Eric Bogosian. It's on uh, Twilight, Oliver Stone film. It's okay. Twilight time. Uh, new to streaming this week on Netflix, we have The Umbrella Academy. Uh, that looks interesting. That. Yeah. I watched the pilot. I liked it. I didn't love it, but I liked it. I'll keep watching. So. Okay. Is it like what is? Is it like a superhero show or what is it? Uh, it's um the it's like premise a... is that like uh on some date I think it's like 1989 up seven a bunch of kids were all born at the same time, but the but 24 hours previous, the, the all the women were not pregnant. So something happened within 24 hours that these women were suddenly pregnant. So this rich person was able to adopt seven of them. And basically mm. now you move ahead 20 years later, and it's about these kids all kind of have powers, and the guy who adopted them has died. And then mm. that, there you go. That's the opening. But it's, it. Ellen Page is in it, and I like her. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, like, I, I've heard it's good, so it's no Russian doll, but I mean, like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm like, all right, we'll see. All right. Okay. Well, that's on Netflix, as well as The Dragon Prince Season 2. This is from the creators of The the Last Airbender. Like, this is their latest animated project. Oh, um, interesting. Okay. So, yeah, if you're, if you're like The Last Airbender, there's two seasons of The Dragon Prince that are now on Netflix. And, uh, sorry, Avatar Cole and The Last Airbender, just to make that clear. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thanks. And on Prime this week, uh, Lorena, the new, I think it's a four-part uh a documentary oh, right. series about Lorena Bobbitt. Um, oh, so interesting. Okay. If you're actually interested in learning more about this person who's nah, been characterized cool. by one thing compared <laughs> to all the details that actually involve what led up to that, this is the way to find out. Yeah, okay. So. <laughs> I'm good. The listeners will let me know what to think. I'll just say just reading about this is like, well, I've learned far more than just the punchline of this whole thing, and it's more interesting and makes a whole lot of sense just by reading one paragraph compared to just <laughs> hearing things over the years. Um, but yeah. Let's see, next week's show. Next week, we got uh, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Looking forward to it, the last final chapter. Yeah. So, yeah, that's next week's uh, main episode. The last thing we do here, what should people go and see now, and what do you plan to see next? Peter Paris, what should people see in theaters right now? Uh, I would still say Happy Death Day if if you're into that kind of thing, because I really enjoyed it, and I'd like to see it do well. And as far as what am I seeing next? God, maybe Captain Marvel? I mean, that's probably, that's a couple weeks, right? Yeah. Is there anything big before Captain Marvel? Am I forgetting? No, that's the next. No, movie. yeah. I mean, besides Dragon. Dragon, yeah. Oh, you know, I only saw the first one. I was not a fan of that series. People love it. Well, so you I'm... can leave now, Peter. I mean, you've... <laughs> I mean you've, only, you've only seen the first one. I love the second one. I mean, so. Yeah, I love yeah, the first I one. Eh. It was okay. I was like, it was all right. Like, I would I... say, see the second one. <laughs> no, yeah. So <laughs> I would, yeah. So Captain Marvel, looking forward to, but yeah, I liked Happy Death Day. Two, to okay. you, I would say, that one. Yeah. Mike, where should, where should people go and see your theaters right now? If I don't know what the rollout of the film has been, but if people can get to a screening of Peter Jackson's documentary, They oh, Shall Not Grow great. Old, yeah, it's, it is must-see on the biggest screen you can find in 3D. Wow. It's, it's 
an is unbelievable that, experience. Wait, isn't it a documentary about old with old footage? Yeah. It's yeah, well, it's, it's been completely it's, remastered by Peter Jackson to be in 3D <laughs> color. <laughs> yeah, so it, it follows it follows um, a very specific English regiment mm-hmm. uh, that suffered mass casualties on the front lines, and so it, it's a very narrow look at uh, World War One. But he takes all this sort of archival footage supplied by the Imperial War, not the Imperial War Museum, the uh, what are they called? I don't know. The the in celebration of the armistice, they have all these archives yeah, yeah. for uh, World War One, and he digitally restores and colorizes everything, and it's. One of the most astonishing things you'll see. Um, really? Yeah, it's 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 a it's a game changer, I think, for how we view wow. visual media and how we look at history through uh, moving images. Yeah, it's it's really really astonishing. Aaron, you preferred Happy Death Day, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I spoke my praise of they they uh, shall not grow old a few weeks back because yeah, I saw that then, and yeah, it's since expanded uh wider and i would certainly recommend it because it's a fantastic documentary and i did speak to the idea that peter jackson shows what like true cinematic auteurs can be doing and what's possible um and and that's something that i've I've, you know obviously not this exact thing all the time but in terms of what someone's capable of as a director what they can show an audience this is a this is a massive step in a direction that i'd prefer to see compared to repeats of the same thing with new palette new color palettes i mean there's there's a lot going on here as far as what it what what kind of direction you can take with something as simple as hey why don't you present this world or one footage in a new and exciting way and that's exactly what he did um so i i would yes i would double down on that recommendation because it's certainly worth mentioning and it's currently on track to gross more domestically than mortal engines produced by peter jackson which is kind of impressive um also impressive also sad that mortal engines did that badly at the box office but there you go I just um, saw that. How was it? Um, I like Alita more, as far as dystopian <laughs> sci-fi movies with big budgets go. Okay. Right. Yeah. Uh, as far as what people should see, I would say Alita is quite good. Lego Movie Two is a whole lot of fun, and Cold War is still out there and um, deserves your watch. Oh, you liked Cold fantastic. War? Huh? I love Cold War. It's Cold gorgeous. Yeah, it's really gorgeous. It was my number three of the year. Yeah, I really like Cold War. Okay, okay. A lot. You guys have all sold me. I'll go watch Cold War. <laughs> Uh, what am I seeing next? Uh, Greta uh, is on the schedule. The Neil Jordan film. Oh, I thought it was a biopic about Greta Gerwig. Oh, I do want to see that. You have to let me know. I, I do. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. When right. does When does Us come out? Do you know? Is that uh, March twenty second? Later. Yeah. Okay, that's a ways Pretty away, soon yeah. though. You got yeah. The end of towards the end of March. We're on the call. Got it. Yep. All right. Well, with all that said, that's what you. That's. <laughs> that will do it for this week's episode about now throwing a name you can find more of my work in my personal blog thecodezeek.com everything that I write ends up over there you can also currently find me writing reviews for The Walking Dead over at weliveentertainment.com and you can find me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4 Abe Instagram Abe.mua Twitter.com slash Rollersmoose hashtag Alita Bubble Angel is that what it was? <laughs> and uh, uh, a, lot of, a lot of bubble angles a lot of bubble angles hashtag a lot of bubble angles A-L-O-T-T-A um and subjects for the podcast. Peter Paris, where can people find more of you online? Uh, my uh, handle for Twitter and Instagram is pajamo, like pajamas, but with an O. Uh, and I <laughs> hope to be writing soon. I haven't written in a while, but I hope to be getting back to that. Nice. Very cool. Mike, anywhere, anything you want to plug? Actually, you guys, uh, no. I Yesterday, got which you uh, no, I got the set on? <laughs> I got nothing. Okay. <laughs> all right uh well with all that said you can find more of our episodes over at itunes audio boom spotify and stitcher 
Uh, also, HHW, HHW LED, SoundCloud, or Podomatic. Uh, feel free to email us any thoughts you might have had on anything we discussed today over at outnowpod- outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Facebook wall, facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, or twitter.com slash outnowpodcast, and stuff. And, of course, send us plenty of scary clown gifts, preferably cyborg clowns, at outnowpodcast.tumblr.com. Are there any? There could be. Make it happen. Internet. That's, that's my that's my new Twitter account, Cyborg Clowns. Cyborg Clowns. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. I'll make sure to. I'm gonna add Cyborg Clowns and just see what comes up with that. Uh, but yeah, uh, Mike, Peter, thank you both for joining us. This thank evening. you, Mike. Thank you, Peter. Yeah, thanks, guys. Right, guys. With all that, that's gonna do it for this week. Until next time, when we see how those dragons go, that's gonna do it. So until then, so long and adieu. That's the song that starts out the trailer, and then all of a sudden, uh, oh, Alita, you're you're more than just a girl, and that's my Christopher. Uh, that's your Christoph Waltz. Yeah, that's my Christoph Waltz. That's <laughs> yeah. terrible. Yeah, it's not very good. And then and then uh, you can't see, but I'm, I'm bending. Uh, I just broke a metal table right now because I, I I said no loudly. So mm-hmm. that's the trailer. Mm-hmm. Well, you crushed that one, Abe. Um, <laughs> right. It's a quick time for games. Oh. Well done. <laughs> it's a quick time for games. <laughs> I'm just kind of, I'm just like nervously third, third like. Time, third time is a charm. Do it again. Well, it's a quick time well, for games. The sound's not working. What's going on? <laughs> the sound's not working. Give me a second. <laughs> just do it with your mouth. <laughs> We've done 352 episodes. I'm not going to just start doing it. Right <laughs> I know. Now. I was just kidding. Hold on. <laughs> the sound is. Give me a second. <laughs> Is it is it is it working now? <laughs>